thinking of you wherever you are. We pray for our sorrows to end and hope that our hearts will blend. Now I will step forward to realize this wish. And who knows? Starting a new journey may not be so hard. Or maybe it's already begun. There are many worlds. But they share the same sky. One sky. One destiny. Light. The door to light. We'll go together. Yeah. Welcome back to season two. It's been a long summer break for the show, but I'm glad to be back. Glad to get things rolling. It's going to be an exciting season full of returning guests, new guests, but most importantly, some new and fun games that mean a lot to me. But we're kicking off season one or season two. Oh my God. We're kicking off season two with the second part of this long running uh, Kingdom Hearts 
series that I have planned out, and I'm bringing back the two guests from the first Kingdom Hearts episode. It is Nick from Tokyo and Taylor. How are you guys doing tonight? Good. Glad to be back. Doing great. Ready to, again, speak truth to Kingdom Hearts. (laughs) Uh, I will say personally for me, the first Kingdom Hearts episode we did back in the spring was very special to me. It felt very rewarding to talk about Kingdom Hearts in a meaningful way that you know wasn't full of internet contrarianism and hot takes and regurgitated opinions so it felt nice to just have like three hours where we can just uh, pour our hearts out to the world about Kingdom Hearts and I think a lot of people resonated with that so I think that's this is this is gonna be a fun one but before we get in I want to ask both of you since there was a break between season one and two. Uh, did y'all have any games you played this summer? Now, uh, there's been a lot of games coming out during then. I was curious if you had played anything over- during the little break. Uh, yeah, so maybe I can start. Um, mm-hmm. I I don't know how good or bad this is, so you guys will have to let me know. <laughs> um, and I can base it off of your reaction, but... Uh, over the last few months, I've gotten really into Overwatch, um, and yeah, so cool. <laughs> you know, I know that I know Oop. that it came like right at the time where everybody got really upset with Blizzard because <laughs> they canceled the you know um, PVE. Mm-hmm. Uh, am I using that terminology correctly? Yes, you um, are. But it's funny because you know my friends have been you know big into Overwatch and have been playing it for literal, literally like. A few years um so like four years or so um almost every day you know on discord at the end of their day at the start of my own mm-hmm. um and i've never played it with them i mean i had played it at like one of my friends house and i went back to the states um never you know really found an interest and then uh was like oh i see that i could download it on ps5 uh, mm-hmm. i did that and then i was like sucked into it played it for like two months and then my boyfriend got really sucked into it. So like right now, if I lean over, you can see the Overwatch loading screen. He's currently sitting nice. in the you know living room, laying down on the floor, um, playing Overwatch. So probably like the you know the worst time to get into it. I feel very normy. Like you know when you have like on Twitter, there's people that have like this really terrible opinion of whatever celebrity, <laughs> and then uh, you know your your normie mom like doesn't even know the controversy and it's like oh I love like Lizzo. Lizzo is <laughs> like the perfect example, right? Like if somebody's like oh I love Lizzo right now, a bunch of people on Twitter would be like hold up, you know, did you not hear about all the fat shaming, <laughs> etc. Bullshit. You know that's that's kind of how I feel with Overwatch. Like I'm just getting into it, so. I'm like, I'm yeah, I'm playing Overwatch. And my friends would be like, oh God, like, why are you playing Overwatch now? So, <laughs> but, uh, you know, get into a quick match, do something for, you know, seven, 10 minutes and then log off. Unfortunately, my life has kind of turned into like having to do very quick gaming, mm-hmm. um, which isn't fun, but uh, I try to do what I can in that time then, I guess. For all my yeah. opinions about Overwatch, I can at least... I can understand like the way you do it where it's just like the quick little like you know I get in and I get out like mm-hmm. I can appreciate it and I I think I also can appreciate that you kind of stayed away from the whole because Overwatch is a uh, 
uh, an exploding volcano of discourse. Literally mm-hmm. every month, it has something that is making people mad at it. For so I can at least I can admire that you're kind of uh, outside of the discourse hurricane, right? Uh, and you're you're having your own fun. And at the end of the day, like if you're having fun with the game, I can't fault you for it. Like, yeah, I have my opinions, but like, you know, that's the unique thing about a game is that it clicks a game that may not click with you will click with someone else. And right. I think I've done, I did, I showcased a lot of games that don't click with everyone in season one. So I think that like, Hey, whatever floats your boat when it comes to games, like as long as you're having fun and enjoying it, I have no reason to, you know poo poo that yeah i mean i enjoy i enjoy being like uh oh yeah did you guys know that solar 76 is gay and (laughs) and it's like you know apparently that was like a huge controversy right when it like first came out or something like that like exactly what you're saying so (laughs) i'm like walking into like you know um this totally brand new and discovering all of these things that apparently were like massive discourse you know oh, starters yeah. uh I, that are just now i guess like totally nor- normalized i don't know if anybody still has any you know angst around soldier 76 but <laughs> you know um i don't think so yeah, anymore it's, it's like overwatch creates its own little like new thing seemingly every month so like right i remember when that whole thing happened and i was just like oh wow that like it's so quaint back then that was the only thing that people were mad about the game about so right. yeah <laughs> yeah well hey at least you're having fun that's all i could ask for and taylor exactly. have you played anything of note this summer um yeah i've been like really failing and getting into a long game um i have been playing replaying final fantasy 10 the uh, remaster with my boyfriend and that's been fun because that's like a perfect game to kind of like casually chip away at um mm-hmm. and then i also what else did i get oh i'm a big skate like skateboard sim person and i hadn't yet bought session but i had bought skater xl so i was like i had i had mastered skater xl and ran out of maps because i'm just on ps4 so then i bought session and now i'm learning the whole new control scheme and i don't feel like session is as good i feel like it's seen as better as than skater xl but uh I kind of prefer the weightiness of uh, Skater XL. It just reminds me of like Skate and like Skate mm-hmm. five, you know, 2 and 3 or whatever. Um, like... But uh, but other than that, I um, the only game I've actually been genuinely playing is um, Burnout Paradise the remaster. Oh yeah, I remember you said that in a It Zach's is so Discord. fun. It yeah, is it's... so fun. It is exactly the type of game I was looking for. And I saw it like in on discount in the store and I was like, you know what? Let me just pick it up. And it's like, it's the perfect, it's like an open world, but like at any stoplight, you can shoot off an event. And it, like, it's, there's a few like, th- like quality of life things that like nowadays, like I wish you could just change your car without going mm-hmm. back to a shop or whatever. But it's like pound for pound, one of the more fun games i've played in a long time and it has like dj atomica from like ssx3 and like other ea big properties or whatever um and i found that delightful and he's like if you want to win a race you gotta go fast oh yeah (laughs) i burnt i have a very very deep and personal connection to the burnout franchise and paradise 
especially is a very bittersweet game, I guess you could say for me, because it is like the last mainline entry in that franchise. And that was 2008. So like this sort of beautiful, melancholic send off to the franchise. I mean, granted, at the time, no one knew it was going to be the send off, but where you're just kind of in this like nondescript, like coastal California-esque town where it's just blaring rock music from the decades and all you just is just a car and this like idealized very American like dream of just literally going fast and crashing cars like it's so bare bones and pure that like I don't know if it can ever be replicated unless it is that team, uh, which is always funny to me because the team who makes it is British. They're a British company that makes it. So <laughs> I, it's funny when it, it's many such cases where a foreign country, a foreign game studio does an American idea and they usually do it with such like beautiful, like earnesty that it just like it clicks in a way that maybe an american developer could do if they tried but i don't know if like it's kind of like the silent hill effect where it's like you have a japanese developer making something making a game set in america with americana-esque imagery and iconography like only silent hill could work truly from a japanese studio perspective so i guess burnout could only work from a british company perspective it's weird how that it, all works sometimes it's like a beautiful tropical car like great yeah oh. it's strangely uh melancholy and like everything is kind of like twilighty and mm -hmm. uh it's always it's sunset it's always at sunset or sunrise like it's yeah, very topical for this episode <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly twilight town um but yeah i i i love that like burnout can still get a fan even to today like i i always hope that burnout comes back i really do but who knows what burnout would come back in the form it it would be in the modern ea sense of the of the word but i'm glad to hear you guys have been playing games this summer so i figure we transition into the meat of tonight which uh kingdom hearts once again now in our first episode, we kind of touched upon what made Kingdom Hearts special. And it was kind of a very broad sense of like talking about Kingdom Hearts. But I wanted to talk before we get into our games about sort of how Kingdom Hearts grew up with its fan base, with people who loved the early entries, and how over time people's perception of Kingdom Hearts started to change. And I believe we touched upon it a little bit, maybe in the first episode, but I'm just, you two have been with the franchise much longer than I have, but even I can speak from it as someone who once was a hater of like, there was starting to be a narrative as the 2000s progress, Kingdom Hearts's perspective change. Uh, very famously in the like mid late 2000s, uh, gaming journalism loved to paint any Japanese role playing game as a uh, girly or gay or non doesn't make sense. Uh, there was a very concerted and very real like 
weird hatred for Japanese made role playing games of any kind, not just like traditional turn base, but any sort of thing. And Kingdom Hearts kind of was like Kingdom Hearts and Final Fantasy were kind of like the main one of the two of the main targets of this. I I remember this specific, specifically where it's like you saw a lot of Japanese games start to become more American in their presentation. They became more and more gritty and realistic. And then Kingdom Hearts, of course, refuses to change because it's Disney and all Square Enix. And people started to turn their backs almost in a way. So I wondered what, how you guys felt like Kingdom Hearts growing up. Like, did you, where do you see like Kingdom Hearts as it's gotten older and older? You know, we're kind of talking about four games, like three games that came out in the span of like four or five years. But by the end of that four or five years, people were starting to like turn their backs. So I didn't know if you guys had any perspective on this whole like changing of the tide of the franchise. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that when two came out, um, that wasn't so far after one had come out. I mean, <laughs> like it was, you know, uh, more of a gap than obviously, you know, a Madden um, 20, 2008 <laughs> to 2009. But, you know, um, it still wasn't, we weren't thinking of, you know, the Kingdom Hearts 2 to 3 gap. Um, mm -hmm. So it took time and the fan base uh, grew up a little bit. Um, but I think that Kingdom Hearts 2 probably got in like right at the beginning of that era that you're talking about um, where, you know, people started turning on um jrpgs uh i think especially as you know things like halo call of duty you know those games especially with um like online play getting better and more sustainable you know more stable mm -hmm. um and easier to access i think that was you know a big factor in that 2006 um obviously uh you know we had gotten there to like the non-dial-up internet you know most people had broadband and stuff but it was still i would say you know a time where um the like you could have a jrpg or an R rpg and people wanted to play it and so kingdom hearts 2 i think you know got in there and people really liked it um, mm -hmm. But as you're saying, those like subsequent like three to four years where they developed these other games mm -hmm. and they were inaccessible because they were on, you know, the PSP or whatever. Um, right. I think it was like Kingdom Hearts 2 is fantastic. We can't wait for Kingdom Hearts 3. And then like we didn't get it for so yeah. long, you know, and and so people, I think in internally as well, people were getting frustrated with. Um, the series so it was getting both like the external you know non-fan treatment mm -hmm. of oh this is a girly game this is a childish game etc mm -hmm. and an internal um, frustration of you know i don't know who these people are i can't play this game you mm -hmm. know although i think that it was also at the same time that people got a lot more rabid around like their love for kingdom hearts because oh, yeah. there was expanded lore so Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was interesting to kind of see that that change. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Taylor, did you think? Yeah, so like I, when I first played Kingdom Hearts, uh, it was before 2 came out. 
And it was, um, I forget exactly how old I was, but it was, you know, it was still like coming out of elementary school into middle school. And it was like a very like, quote unquote, formative time of like, you know, uh, kind of crafting an identity of like who you are and like, you know, differentiating yourself. So it was like a real dangerous time to be like yeah it's the disney uh anime thing is my like big <laughs> thing i love um so i've i've written for this series but i do remember you know finding out two was out and be like oh i can't wait to play more of kingdom hearts um mm. and you know the infamous thing of like well i hadn't played chain of memories so yeah. coming into this kind of new expanded world where there's a lot of like um uh kind of the the sales pitch even started to get more complicated than the original elevator pitch of the first game which you know a lot of people can be sold on even now playing the first game by saying oh well it's this high concept thing of what if you combined these two things and what would that look like and you know one character and his friends uh emotional through line to kind of you know thread all the pieces Mm -hmm. um but I think with a more complex narrative, it became harder for people to see like the things connecting mm-hmm. um, everything in the games, unless you like really knew what like you had played through them and seen all of these, seen how connected everything is. But it, from the outside, it seems kind of scattershot and random. So it became harder to explain to people why they should care about Kingdom Hearts the more. I'm like, yeah, but you also have to buy a PSP to play one of the prequel games <laughs> that sets up an entire saga. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is always... This is, in, at least in my opinion, I don't know how you guys feel, but like one of the unique strengths and weaknesses of Kingdom Hearts is the fact that it was so... you It was massive enough where it could be on multiple platforms, but instead of doing kind of what a mainstream franchise would do, which is like the handheld games are the spinoffs and they do not matter to the grand story. Kingdom Hearts was different and said, no, these spinoffs are progressing the story in some sense. On one hand, I can say like that is really genius and a like really sort of avant-garde, like large scale like idea for your franchise where it it's not just like contained to a playstation it's contained it's a the whole video game industry is kingdom hearts's sort of uh uh environment that it it lives in i mean we've seen kingdom hearts not only you know ps2 it's been on the ds the 3ds it's been on the psp it's been on uh the place ps4 xbox the switch it's also been on Japanese phone games only. It's been on iPhones. It's been, you know, on so many different unique platforms, uh, you know, and I can kind of re- admire Tetsuya Nomura's sort of like insanity in that sense. But at the same time, if you're like an average person who's just like, what is this weird game in like 2008, 2009, when culture the gaming culture had shifted to call of duty and halo like uh like nick had said it's no longer about like the ps2 had so many wild and unique and specific experiences that were like everyone could kind of live together in their own separate but also kind of harmonious existence 
but now since like the consoles had gone online, you know, graphics have gotten more impressive. It's more mature. You got to, you know, have blood and gore and violence and guns. And then you have uh, Kingdom Hearts talking about the power of friendship still. Like, to an average, like, you know, I know people have used this term derogatory, but like the dude bro, they're going to think, why should I play this? There's games on systems that I don't own that are progressing the story. Like, Kingdom Hearts' greatest enemy is itself. And I think over time, that has been like part of the reason why I think this narrative formed for Kingdom Hearts, where everyone says it's obtuse, it doesn't make sense, you know, it's a bunch of nonsense, it's all about like chill, it's childish, it's girly, all this like these, you know, these uh, one dimensional critiques of the franchise that like, if I hear them today, I'm just like, oh, we're beyond that now. But it's fascinating with, you know, the games we're talking about, the 2.5 games. It's interesting to see how Kingdom Hearts's perspective perception has shifted in such a short time. And game franchises don't really have this sort of like, uh, fracturing of its own fan base like Kingdom Hearts has had like Final Fantasy fans they might hate every game that comes out like recently this year Final Fantasy 16 there is a diehard very vocal fan base that hates 16 but like they can all come together and say you know we're still Final Fantasy fans but like Kingdom Hearts it's like we had like millions of people all on board post cage 2 we lost a million because we put out a DS game. Oh, we lost another chunk because we made a PSP game. Oh, we lost another because we made a Japanese exclusive mobile game. You know, it's this weird... Kingdom Hearts is its own self-contained, bizarre entity that, like, only it could do. I feel, no, one, no other franchise could, like, endure the sort of, like, existence that Kingdom Hearts has. It's... I mean, I think that yeah, the the penetration rate of Kingdom Hearts across all of the gaming systems, etc., is like an incredible, an incredible work of art. So when you're looking at it from like an art perspective, um, I think you know it is just so unique, and that uniqueness lends itself to being um, just interesting by default. Um, that said from a practical perspective for fans <laughs> who actually want to get into the series, it is like very frustrating. And mm -hmm. I think one of those things is, you know, whenever a fan like is about to play a new kingdom hearts game, I would say over half for sure, probably do a little research on oh, yeah. like the kingdom hearts story to catch themselves up. Yeah. If you're thinking of a casual player who has never been involved in the series before, picking up like birth by sleep and then trying to understand like you know okay this isn't this isn't like the you know mickey and you know um, or a sora donald goofy. right a sora donald goofy that you know i've seen before mm -hmm. um and then the story is completely different and i think where you know from a practical perspective you could have an entirely separate game that has like new characters that are tied into the mainline series. I think that's totally doable. 
Mm-hmm. Um, however, the way that Tetsuya Nomura does it is he not only introduces characters, he also introduces like extremely critical plot points that totally shift like the focus of the next game. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you would anticipate Kingdom Hearts 1 to Kingdom Hearts 2 to be like a pretty one, you know, one-to-one um, story uh, bridge. But there's this entirely new organization that, you know, um, they're fighting against that comes out of literally nowhere. <laughs> um, and I think at least 2 did like a better job of introducing them. But once you get into 3, you know, once we're getting later into the series, it's just like so convoluted it's very difficult for even fans of the series to like you know pick it up without doing any lore you know youtube mm-hmm. deep dives right oh yeah, yeah. i think i think you it's know. something to the credit of namora of the series that like that it isn't afraid to make choices that alienate part of its like general audience and that it continued to do that throughout its series and it's honestly like i feel like it gets a lot of flack specifically three gets a lot of flack for like fan service quote unquote Mm -hmm. but if you think about it he he had just like completely denied the wishes of fans for like every turn it felt like of the story like it just kept being like we want three we want three okay we're doing a prequel like, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we want whatever you're getting a rhythm game. <laughs> um, so it's it's really, as you said, like artistically um, impressive. And again, at that time when everything be- was becoming very cynical and serious in gaming, it was still willing to be kind of goof and kind of uh, colorful. Yeah, even as I've gotten older, and granted, I got into the series proper at a much older age than I think most people who are fans did, you know, back when they were young kids in the 2000s. One thing that I can always respect and admire about Kingdom Hearts is that no, no matter what it does, even if it does something completely stupid, I mean we were joking off recording about melody of memories. Like we can poke and prod about that one being a, a rhythm game that is nothing more than just a rhythm game with 15 minutes of plot at the very end, because it's a kingdom hearts game. And by uh required law, it has to progress the story uh, of the franchise. But like, I can always know that like kingdom hearts will never change with the times quote unquote it will always still be itself in it it is kingdom hearts has always done that even when it's done very experiment you know experimental things in itself in its own franchise i mean we'll get into it like kh2's opening is completely daring and bold for them to do like i fully respect them for that i can respect decisions like with birth by sleep doing going at the point at that time going to the very beginning of the timeline and introducing new characters and doing a story that sets up the sort of begin the pre events of KH1 like I can always know that Kingdom Hearts will stay true to itself and never bow down to what the fans claim is the best for the franchise or or 
do anything that a critic would say kingdom hearts has to do this because i am of the critic mindset like nomura and the team you know that see this franchise forward like they're a self-contained bubble and i will always know that like they're going to deliver the sort of experience that i have come to understand kingdom hearts as it's very beautiful and touching story of friendship you know growing up you know learning who you are your sort of purpose in life and all these sort of very simple but very true and beautiful themes and you know i'll never wake up one day and see you know uh kingdom hearts of war zombies or whatever i'm not gonna see that ever like i'm not gonna get a total tone shift complete 180 on the franchise so it can uh make everyone happy kingdom hearts is made for people who love kingdom hearts no matter what and i can i i i wish more franchises or games embrace that mindset of like even if you have on what seems on paper a silly franchise a silly idea you know square enix characters and disney characters meet in an original story that's a silly premise on paper. I think most people can agree, but if, you know, stay, you know, going 100% and committing to your vision, I wish more franchises had the wherewithal and willingness to do that. Kingdom Hearts will be itself for the rest of time. I, I have no, I have no doubt in my mind that KH4 is going to deliver exactly what I know KH4 is going to deliver with every new franchise installment. Like that's what I will always like feel comfortable with, with this franchise. Like, you know, it's like a, it's like your parents recipe for like a dish. It's like, it's going to stay the same and it's going to always hit the right spot in your, in your mind. Like Nomura knows what Nomura knows what he wants out of this franchise. And I will eat that shit up all the time. I mean, and also like modern gaming culture, as much as we, you know, harp on things like, you know, mobile gaming and and apps and, you know, uh, free to play, etc. I think, you know, looking broadly, it is on Kingdom Hearts' side, because if you think about it, like nowadays, you, you know, if you don't have access to a game, it's not like, oh, well, I guess I can't see the secret movie. Like you could not only just watch the secret movie on YouTube, you could also watch somebody doing like a playthrough of the entire game, um, which many people now do. Right. Um, And you can have it with commentary. You can have it without commentary. Like it's totally up. You know, there's going to be so many different streams. There's Mm -hmm. going to be somebody who's like a Kingdom Hearts expert, you know, playing Mm -hmm. these games that could walk you through it. Um, And uh, I think at the same time, you know, more and more we have seen uh, Square Enix and other gaming companies, but, you know, try to um, remove exclusivity. Um, mm-hmm. And so, like, even with the Kingdom Hearts franchise, you now can play, like, I think the entire Kingdom Hearts franchise on, you know, PlayStation, Xbox, um, even Switch now, I think, um, mm-hmm. they have, you know, a way to play it. So, like the uh democratization um mm-hmm. of of like the video game industry i think also lends kingdom hearts to being like okay 
you're not you're not just limited to watching a playthrough if you have a game system you can likely play it maybe it will come out later mm-hmm. than like when it first comes out for the other systems but um you will have a way to play it so it's still i don't know yeah i mean i i don't know will we see another game kingdom hearts game that is like isolated on anything but the phone i actually don't know like it's not, it feels now like there's an isolation or a distinction between the phone games mm-hmm. and the console like handheld games which you know will be interesting if that actually ends up proving to be the case i guess yeah i mean that will be a definitely a wait and see with the franchise i'm i wonder if like in five or so years we're gonna get like a what the 1.5 and 2.5 did where they just kind of condense everything into like a movie and just be like hey we know not all of you are mobile game fans we're just going to condense the story for you in this neat little package as like either like in a collection or as like a bonus movie you can like uh experience for doing like i don't know clearing all finding all the like in cage finding all the the hidden mickey emblems or whatever like yeah kingdom hearts is a very just like by itself medium that like nowadays it's just even if it does it its own thing is sort of like self-contained in its own universe like it's never like turned its back to people it's like now more than ever it's like kingdom hearts has open open arms and welcoming to all and like you said the democratization of games i think kingdom hearts is only going to benefit from this moving forward because no longer will we hear those arguments of it doesn't make sense it's spread across all these things i can't own every console every handheld known to man uh yeah i mean kingdom hearts is just (laughs) the more we've you know this is the second time we've done this it's like the more we get into the franchise deeper we get into the game lineage it's like it because it learning is like kingdom hearts is just literally its own self-contained universe like once you get in you start to just like kind of think it you come it becomes more than just like oh these like you know pick up and play rpgs like you suddenly get more invested in everything and I could never really understand why people have like turned their back to the franchise. It's like the franchise has only gotten better and better in my opinion, as it's like gotten more exponentially grand and epic and all that stuff. So yeah. I mean, Taylor, did you have any thoughts before we get properly into the games tonight? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't I, cause I want to get into these games cause these are, some very big topics so with without with uh i think we should just get into the first game tonight which is kingdom hearts 2 
Kingdom Hearts 2, which, in my opinion, might be one of my all-time favorite games, like, full stop. Uh, it first came out in Japan December 22nd, 2005, but it came to America March 28th, 2006 for the PlayStation 2 originally. Um, as I said, Kingdom Hearts 2 might be one of one of my favorite games ever made. I think, in my opinion, KH2 is one of the most important games that has ever been released. I think it arguably might be it's it, it's like at the top of every aspect whether it be K kingdom hearts games playstation 2 games rpgs whatever you name it kingdom hearts 2 is i think holds a very high place in a lot of people's minds it came out four years after the first game it had been building up hype it basically takes every aspect of the first game and elevates it to a level that I think most people didn't expect out of this franchise in terms of story, in terms of gameplay, graphics, music, whatever you want to think about it. This is like one of the best games of all time. And so that's my spiel about it. I don't know. What do you guys think about Kingdom Hearts 2? I guess, Nick, you can start first. Uh, yeah, I think Kingdom Hearts 2, I before it came out, I had like pre-ordered it at uh, GameStop. I don't know if it was still called GameStop. It might have been EB Games um, mm -hmm. back in 2006, but uh, it gave you this like very, very beautiful strategy guide mm -hmm. that had um, one of Sora's uh, different forms. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, you know, the the white, what is that, master form? Um, and mm -hmm. it was like this very, very beautiful guidebook. Mm -hmm. um, I had um, done something very bad <laughs> before I, uh, you know, Kingdom Hearts came out. So over spring break, I got grounded till the end of the school year um, for uh, sneaking off to Disney World behind my mom's back after she explicitly <laughs> banned me from going. Oh, I no. asked my, you know, um, best friend's ex-girlfriend to drive me to Disney World um, to meet specifically the first person I ever came out to on MySpace um, who was like visiting Disney World. Anyways, my mom found out, of course, um, that I had <laughs> sneaked out and grounded me from everything. Um, the one thing that I was able to do was play Kingdom Hearts on my birthday. Um, Kingdom Hearts 2 specifically on my birthday. Because um, oh it came out March 28th, 2006. Uh, I turned, however old I turned, um, in uh, April 3rd. And oh. so I was able, that was a Saturday, I still remember it. And my you, mom uh, let me play Kingdom Hearts 2 from morning until night. And then I was back to being grounded for um, the rest of the school year from everything else. So <laughs> um, yeah, that's how special of a game that was for me. That um, how I spent my, I guess that was my 14th birthday, was playing game Kingdom Hearts. Um, oh, yeah. wow. that That's a great story. Oh uh, man, <laughs> to be grounded, but you could still play on your birthday, like the biggest game of 2006. Like, and, and to, this, it, to this day, yeah, I will and, say and, that it is like one of the best games that I've ever played for sure. Yeah, and 
I love how it's like you got grounded because of Disney, but you still got to experience something Disney. Exactly. Not too, like uh, it's funny how that all works out. Um, That's called being a Disney adult. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Taylor, give me your Kingdom Hearts two uh, thoughts. Yeah. So um, I was I knew enough to anticipate Kingdom Hearts two, but it was like surprise when it came out to me. Like I wasn't like following games at that point, and. Um, I, I was just kind of taken aback by how much more it was because I hadn't seen Chain of Memories. I really didn't even know about it. So to me, going from one to two, it's just this explosion. And as you said, of like every part of the game of, of one has been extrapolated on and like uh, doubled and fanned out and it now crosses into other sections and like you know, as far as like PS2 games go, I think, I mean, obviously Kingdom Hearts 2 could stand against many other consoles and stuff, but it like, it might be, you know, my favorite use of that hardware for just the amount of detail and scope. And it just felt huge. Like, I remember it feeling like this gigantic, uh, like all the maps felt so much bigger, even though they get kind of, you know, railed for being like quote-unquote linear or more linear than the first game's uh map design it just it felt so big they went to worlds that i didn't think they would touch like they with the pirates of the caribbean i oh, went yeah. to blind so the fact that that popped up on the screen was like out of out of left field and then to see like you know them use parts of that movie as game mechanic too like i mean we'll, yeah. we'll get into all that but like the the choices they made of where to go including like the Tron level visually is like uh, yeah. stylistically like a huge accomplishment of the um the series and um uh the timeless river mm-hmm. uh is like there's just some of the some of the best I think like immersive environment work in Kingdom Hearts is in two. And I mm-hmm. really and I know that I know that um Nick is also a fan of Disney and stuff and something that I love about parks and the stuff that I really enjoy is that feeling of like being taken just put down into somewhere else and feel completely in a different headspace because of it. And like Mm -hmm. the, you got some of that with kingdom hearts one, um, you know, and it's a beautiful game by its own right, but two, it just, it's like, you're in a whole city, you're in a whole, you know, mm-hmm. film in a really believable way. So it really just was like it was the biggest two I had ever played as far as games go. Yeah, I mean, KH two, KH two gained a legacy for a reason. Like every every aspect of it is not only at the top of its game, but it felt like they had raised the bar for what things could come in other games should like emulate or follow and i mean there's so much to talk about with cage too i mean like even you know you get the game box like which i have right here like you just see this like gorgeous silver front with all the characters and then you just see like that weird little blonde boy at the top it's like who's that why is mickey in a emo trench coat like what they're is all going so on? contemplative like yeah I- my I didn't understand like why am I looking at all of these funny characters look so melancholy and so thoughtful like they just like had their heart ripped out like what who did this to Mickey 
<laughs> God, M Mickey Mouse. Uh, where yeah, it's like a Kingdom Hearts, but yeah, like Kingdom Hearts Two feels so like it. It balances its large, like its sort of grand scope with honestly a very personal and very touching stories throughout its course. And I think obviously one of, if not the shining example of this, is the story of Roxas. Now, and we touched about Roxas in the first episode with three five eight over two days, but it's important to to note two came before that so you have to put your mind space like when you boot this game up the game does not start with you as sora you start with roxas and you have to remember so many people had no idea who roxas was why am i playing as this like weird kid who's kind of mopey and he's kind of clueless and he's with his like these group of friends it's like i don't know who these are i'm in a town called twilight town you know, why is the word photo been taken from their literal lexicon? Like, what are these, like, cuttlefish-looking LED strip monsters that are occupying the play, pay, uh, place? And then why is there now a guy with spiky, spiky orange hair suddenly telling you he knows who you are and he's trying to, like, intervene in your life? And then you see a weird BDSM bondage guy in a cloak also following you around, like what like the i can't say it enough and i wanted to just make a point of uh highlighting it is the opening the cage 2 might be one of the best if not the best openings i've ever played because it gets you into the mind space of kind of not only the broader stroke themes of the of the game but also you really get and understand roxas and i think too much like how 358 over two days uh did you really understand how heartbreaking roxas's story is where you you want to play a sora but you're like stuck with this kid but you learning that like everything is a lie his whole existence is just a fabrication he's not a real person and he has to accept that in order for like his destiny is to reunite with someone he doesn't know like it is such a heartbreaking opening to a game. It has one of the most like heartbreaking lines I've ever seen in a game. You know, looks like my summer vacation is over. Like, oh, it breaks exactly. my heart. It breaks my heart every that, time. That is that line is like one of those things where it's like, okay, you know, now when I replay the game, it's like I'm not playing as Roxas anymore. Like, this is the end of Roxas and I mean that is you know literally what happens is you know Rox Roxas gets absorbed back into um, Sora yeah. and um, you know we'll go into you know the crazy lore shenanigans that happen in like KH3 oh, yeah. when we get oh, to yeah. that podcast but <laughs> from the end of that game like it does. You do get a little bit of a brief happy ending for Roxas and Namine. Oh yeah. Um, you know where it's you know, but it until the very end of this very very long game, you don't get that payoff, and it does really feel like you've connected because you have to pay play for this guy for three hours, right? 
So like you have gotten very invested in uh, his story from my perspective. I'm one of the few people that was able to play Chain of Memories before I played mm-hmm. um, Kingdom Hearts 2. So it wasn't a shock for me, like who these people are, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, the uh, I'm sure for the person who had not played it, um, it was likely very confusing, a very long tutorial. Mm-hmm. But I say Twilight Town, and this is just my personal opinion, is the best world in mm-hmm. the Kingdom Hearts series. You know, Apple Vision Pro has that <laughs> feature where you can like, you know, look at, you know, this very beautiful screenscape around you or whatever. I have like literally said to myself, if I could only choose one single place to like, you know, exist in there, and that was the only setting that I could ever use on this Apple Vision Pro thing, it would be Twilight Town. Like yeah. I would want to exist in Twilight Town. You just sit you on can, a, yeah. You sit on a exactly. balcony and then you think you're like on the clock tower. Uh, right. Have, exactly. having your sea salt ice cream. Any any concern about VR, what it's going to mean for, you know, our society, for relationships, etc. I do not care about any of those if it means that I will be able to like immerse myself and live in Twilight Town. Like Fair. that's how much I love that level. That's completely valid in my point. Twilight Town is like literally the most serene and scenic location you could ever experience in a game with that like very, again, Kashimamura once again delivering some of the best music she's ever done with that like catchy little theme that just gets in your ear. But if it captures that very like somber summer vacation, you know, whether, you know, you know, Kingdom Hearts has the whole beach thing, but it's like, I like how Twilight Town also kind of captures if you're like somewhere else and it's like summer vacation is like in a town, like in the mountains or somewhere out in like the countryside and Kingdom, you know, it captures that very beautiful, somber, like final days of, you know, being you know, the most free you could be at that age, like Twilight Town and Roxas's story, like just really it's it's weird to like say like turning the concept of like a summer vacation where you have your eight days and you're doing your little odd jobs and whatnot, like credit to Nomura turning that like idea of a story beat and making it one of the most like heartbreaking like self-contained stories is like a masterpiece like i i people rag on the to the opening of this game because it's quote too long and blah you know whatever people know if people are listening who are king of hearts fans you've heard this discourse like i don't care this this opening is the perfect opening because it gets you you get a sense of just sort of where the world is not just in the sort of Sora's shoes you get to see sort of everything that surrounds Sora himself and i think it's so beautiful and so tragic to see this kid who has no no idea what's going on and he's literally living in a fake world of his own sort of idealized you know dreams it's all it's all a lie and it's and you see like him just lashing out and smashing thing like the computer that like holds this like fake world 
and it kind of touches on like not wanting to let go of the one little bit of freedom that you have as a kid, like with your friends in this place that's, you know, your oasis. And it's like, well, I have to go back to reality. I have to let give the keys back to the like real thing that keeps the story and life going is Sora. And I have to accept that. And I you go, Taylor, I think, you go. Yeah. I think it's like um it was also like very timing wise perfect for Roxas as the beginning of Kingdom Hearts 2 for me particularly, also because Sora kind of has this um excited, you know, I need to see the world, like, you know, I like want to get out there, kind of this mm-hmm. motivation to become to answer the hero's call or whatever. Um and Roxas like distinctly doesn't like he's kind of avoidant of the responsibilities and like whatever the next stage is not knowing that for him it is reabsorption or whatever yeah um but you know as a kid you know coming into adolescence or like adulthood or whatever is a lot of the thing is like you know you are now being plunged into like Roxas a world of a bunch of competing interests that you don't really understand and like you have to kind of um you know find your place and how you figure into all of those competing interests and those like yeah those last days of you know wanting to hold on to the simple you know connections without it feeling overcomplicated and it kind of mm-hmm. uh I yeah the twilight town is absolutely like you know if they if you if they give you some sort of VR headset uh, when you die, I hope it's a <laughs> Twilight oh, Town simulation because that'll be peaceful as hell. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That I'm gonna write a letter to Tim Cook specifically, be like, "Have you heard of this wonderful franchise called Kingdom Hearts, Tim? You'd love it. There's a there's one place that you need to include in the VR scape. Um, Please do. I will gladly sign that letter. <laughs> This is the third place is uh, reaching out to Apple Incorporated. <laughs> um, but I wanted to, you know, spend time on that intro, but the Kingdom Hearts 2 just doesn't stop there. It keeps going and going and going. Like, you really get a sense of how everything just gets bigger and bigger and the stakes get bigger. I mean, simply, like, just how the gameplay feels so much faster, so much quicker, And the fact that they give you just literally, honestly, like infinite tools, like you have the drive gauges and all that stuff. You have all the sort of new and unique combos that you can perform, how easy it feels to play. Like, I think it goes without saying, like Kingdom Hearts 2 is like, honestly, the gold standard of like action RPGs. Like I still hold like hold it up against other new and upcoming ones because KH2 kind of nailed it like with everything everything has a purpose everything feels so balanced and yet there's also like things you have to account for like the uh revenge counter that is going on in the background between bosses like there is such a great like ebb and flow to everything you know all the worlds they go to you know the new ones and the and the returning ones they all not only are they more interesting, I think, to exp- you know to get to go to and explore, but I love how the the Disney worlds actually kind of tie in with the sort of theme of ident like 
these the main crew is trying to find out who they are like Sora is trying to find his identity with like Roxas and you have Riku trying to find his own identity and all of this sort of thing and all the organization members trying to like know their sort of identity and the whole grand thing of being organization members I like how all the Disney worlds that they picked from involve like characters trying to find their own path and their own identity. I mean, you start off with the Mulan world, which I I I love like starting off in the Mulan world as someone who watched the VHS tapes all the time. Um and then you get to go to like uh other places like Timeless River is one of my all-time favorite levels in any Kingdom Hearts game. I love Beast Castle in this one. The Tron levels also great. Going back to Olympus Coliseum is also wonderful. Like everything just feels great and unique and fun to explore. And then the fact that they also have you go back to the worlds too. They actually like it's not a one and done thing anymore. It's like, oh, I get to like go back and see how the things are progressing. Like there feels like everything is like alive in this game it's not just like i go here and i leave and that's it it's true i mean the when you say that you know this is kind of the gold standard action jrpg um i totally agree from not just like the technical perspective but also from the story perspective um you know the pacing in this one is so well thought out Mm -hmm. um you know where you go visit all the worlds then you go back to like the um, hub world uh, of what Hollow Bastion, Radiant Garden, mm-hmm. to like you know do something there relatively important, and then you know you then go back to all the uh, other worlds again, and there's more to it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the issue that Kingdom Hearts three had was that it was so all of the worlds felt quite barren. Yeah. Um, whereas in Kingdom Hearts 2, I didn't have that feeling at all. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, there were enough um, interesting things going on that you could visit there twice mm-hmm. and like have a campaign of, you know, maybe not the uh, total length of the first campaign, but um, a good chunk devoted to this, you know, second campaign um, mm-hmm. and still have things to do and not get bored. Mm-hmm. So like Kingdom Hearts 2 really is like even not, just within this own series, although I did do that with Kingdom Hearts 3. How does this stack up to Kingdom Hearts 2? Kingdom Hearts 1, it's like, what is missing that they fix in Kingdom Hearts 2? You know, beyond this series as well, any action RPG that's like, you know, Kingdom Hearts 2, how does it stack up against it? Is Mm -hmm. That's the rating I go to as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I also thought with the, the second round thing, when they have you return to Twilight Town, kind of a powerful moment where like mm-hmm. you thought you've seen the last of it and it's kind of towards the later game mm-hmm. and you you're coming back as Sora after like all this other uh organization plot we haven't yeah. even mentioned that there's a whole new category of uh bad guy that you <laughs> are introduced to called nobodies uh, and yeah. that there's uh proper nobodies with like names and stuff and then there's like uh, little little guys that you fight and the the smaller I mean the like the regular people you fight are also like really well designed like they're, I feel cre- like the they're, extre- had le- they're really feel well like the, animated like yeah they're really really cool and disturbing um kind of anti 
like the physics defying movements and they all kind of have this like silent hill jacob's ladder stutter and they move too quick and then slow down and it's a really um evocative uh an enemy type and like motif kind of Mm -hmm. to uh go through the game and i feel like i forget correct me if i'm wrong but i think the first time you go through the levels it's a little bit more heartless uh i think so kind of focused and then as you go back through there's more nobody is higher ranking nobodies and organization members etc mm-hmm. um but yeah i think they really use the revisit mechanic really well um and cannily and you know yeah well <laughs> uh this is something we i wanted to bring it up real quick we did this uh in the first episode uh what is your favorite disney world of kh2 quickly Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, okay. I th- um, let me think. Oh god, this is hard to do quick. Uh, <laughs> I can't say it has to be Disney. Um, yeah, Disney. <laughs> well, it's not um, Atlantica. I think we it's all not agree. It's not Atlantica. Honestly, I really, I, I really the... do like Mulan. Mulan, actually, I remember being really impressed by. Listen. And the the amount of set pieces you get. Oh yeah, no, I love the Mulan level. Like the fact that it end the second visit where it ends, like where the movie ends too, and you have the big fight in the sort of the giant square of the castle. Like that was oh, that so cool. that felt so rewarding to me as someone who loved the original movie and watched it endlessly on on my VHS. That was like especially like really well just like a well-earned moment for me i wanted to mention the atlantica level is one is an instance where actually a a, a level from the first game got worse um that is like my one yeah. little asterisk but thank god the atlantica level is optional you do not have yeah. to play it like uh to the people who don't know the atlantica level is a bad rhythm game level and when I say that the notes that you hit are not in sync with the music, it's yeah. true. <laughs> it's um, true. It's true. It, 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 it's I'm, hateful. I, I do not get how that, I don't know how that one passed uh, through inspection. I guess maybe Disney said like, you have to have Atlantica in here again. I'm like, uh, do I want to sit through here and like hear Donald Duck singing, uh, you know, under the sea, like, I don't. I really don't. Um, but I think for me, honestly, uh, the Timeless River is my favorite, just because of the fact that they went all out on the art style for that one. Definitely. And the fact you know they did really creative and and unique set pieces for that. I I just want a little detour on favorite Disney worlds in this one. I think really, honestly, all of them are very strong, except for Atlantica. Even like. I know people kind of decry the Lion King level. I like it because I get to drift as a little lion cub with a keyblade in my mouth. Like there's there's some charm to that. Um, oh, for sure. I mean, that was the uh, that was how furries originated, right? My understanding prop, correctly. Has, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I would not be I would not be surprised if you could draw a line from yeah furries like as they exist their modern form down to like kingdom hearts even kingdom hearts one right with like the atlantica level you know but there has to be like 
if it wasn't the Venn the origin... diagram is probably yeah. like extremely <laughs> yeah that Listen. overlap is probably taking up the entire diagram it's just a circle the less i think about because i know it exists but the less i think about it my the, my life is so much better uh yeah. but the it is it's an unfortunate thing that kingdom hearts had a very big influence and unfortunately i mean let's but, not forget their contributions to the goth uh well yeah uh, i mean with yeah, the course. nightmare costumes i mean oh yeah L- god <laughs> listen i mean maybe maybe disney had a plan to do so but i all i do think that the reason why we saw a tron revival was because of kingdom hearts oh, maybe that's not correct maybe that's a correct maybe I, the no i think it's wrong, one but i think i think it's like, correct i remember thinking like i've I have no idea what this Tron thing is, you yeah. know, and then Disney was like promoting Tron on Disney Channel, I think, like in the context of Kingdom Hearts. Oh, so they were like, pro- like promoting Kingdom Hearts 2 and talking about the Tron level. And then like, I think, you know, like the Tron movie got greenlit and huh. I can only think that, yeah, they uh, like if they knew that a Tron movie was coming. Would they have done the old Tron level? I mean, I guess I need to look up like timelines on this because I could be totally off. But but you know, I th- I th- even if the timeline isn't right, it definitely feels like Kingdom Hearts had a heart a hand to play because Tron is already kind of like a cult classic thing from a time period most kids yeah. probably didn't know about. Maybe their dad had heard about it. Like maybe he had and, watched well, it. And now it's now it's in Shanghai and in Disney World Tron roller coaster. So once you have a Tron roller coaster, I think that's like firmly now going to be in the like culture's consciousness, right? Mm-hmm. It's not going to be something that was like long and forgotten. So it is it is crazy to think about. Um, and, let, from the, and let's not yeah. forget that Tron itself is taking place in the computer, in Ansem's mm-hmm. computer in the core of Radiant Garden. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Which the password yeah. to it is door to darkness. And he finds yeah. it on a oh chalkboard. <laughs> right. <laughs> There's yeah. a lot oh of layers. Oh my god. It's like on paper, you're just like, oh yeah, it's a Tron level, but then you learn like how Kingdom Hearts gets to have a Tron level and you're just like, oh no. There there exactly. there's like the it's like the silliness that you're just like, you know once you get on board you're just like okay i'm all up along for the ride like you know door you know hey fellas did someone say the door to darkness like as mickey mouse says in a full like trench coat uh with hoods you know full you know uh without not jokingly that's just what that scene is like that is kingdom hearts in a nutshell is that scene um to, but also to go off the, the whole goth thing you mentioned earlier, uh, Organization 13 ha- also had a big pl- part to play in that too, lest we forget uh, a whole villain group based around the fact that they wear uh, full body trench coats and they all have like colored spiky anime hair and they're all like some like degree separated from Hot Topic. I mean... Organization 13's impact should be noted and appreciated, I think. I mean, they are, that is like one of the easiest things to cosplay as. I mean, because oh, you're yeah. just wearing a coat, you know. And, you know, I've never cosplayed before. I do like dressing up for Halloween. 
Um, but you know, I, I was like, maybe I'll do an organization member one year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is one of those things where like right now on Twitter, there's, I don't know if you guys have seen the tweet where it's like, um, clothes that look ugly until Rihanna wears it. There's something like, it's like, a <laughs> yeah, of like yeah, yeah. Um, it's like, that would be like the opposite. I would be like clothes that look ugly until Axel wears it, you know, like, I'd oh, be yeah. in the, uh, you know, trench coat, you know, I'd be, I'd be the, you know, version on the model and then yeah. Rihanna would be Axel. Um, but, uh, yeah, it is one of the, my point is, is that it is one of those things that looks so cool, like in the game. And then you try to translate it into real life. And there's some cosplays that look fantastic, but I've never really seen a good, like trench coat you know like it always just like misses the mark for me in some ways but it is a very iconic iconic piece of yeah. uh well, it's that, fashion it's, it's that it's that anime um uh waist snatch and oh yeah all the organization members know. have the most skinty of waist known to man oh, like they you know they... uh luxeus is corseted down oh yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, like did Axel. I say a real one? Or did I make one up? No, I think that's right. Oh God, uh, let me. We got Zemnis, Zigbar, Zaldin, Vexen, Lexeus, Zexian, Syx, Axel, Demix, Luxord, Marluxia, Larxene, and Roxas. Every organization member would make a great '80s hair band name. Oh, yeah. oh, I mean, some of them look like '80s like hair band members already. I mean, Zaldin, yeah. the with his like like giant ponytail i mean so let's sick. give credit where credit is due it is impressive that he's able to come up with 13 names with the letter x in them that oh yeah sound like you know not they don't sound totally retarded like they sound pretty <laughs> yeah. good in my in my opinion i yeah um, i i buy the fantasy have you tried to do exactly. them with your own name? I tried earlier today and I was no. like, it's not happening. <laughs> I should try though. But I yeah. mean, I think I think that the uh I, I I actually think that the X name came first and then like the name that they are in actuality came next. Yeah. Um, it, it's probably it, just Sora. Sora and Roxas was one of those like, oh, it's very easy to find something, but Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, because they in birth by sleep they give like their proper real names prior to becoming nobodies like right but i yeah give credit to namura for coming up with 13 different x names with x in them and i also i love a, a minor thing about the organization is that they're all based on rpg classes so they're all like even like a black trench coat he is able to make them all visually distinct because they're all different RPG classes. So you have, uh, you have, uh, like Syx is the berserker or you have Demix, who's the bard and you have, uh, was Lugzord is the gambler. Like, I love how each one has their own like little visual quality that makes them stand out, let alone their own, like, unique and wild anime hairstyle that they all have um credit to the organization because they are a memorable cast of wacky characters and some of them are wacky and i'm looking specifically at demix um (laughs) uh dance water dance if anyone knows what that one (laughs) if people are listening know what that one is you're you're, i mean he was like he was like a crush of mine i think 
Uh, I, where I just I thought he was so you. cute. Yeah, yeah. I mean, mine was Lugsword, but that's kind of basic, uh, I think. Daddy. Yeah. Daddy Lugsword. <laughs> um, but yeah, King, Kingdom Hearts, like, because, yeah, to get back on what we were saying, like, everything is just raised to another degree. And even like the Disney worlds and even just sort of the broader story as a whole, like this goal of organization 13, trying to summon kingdom hearts through all the hearts that are being released as Sora defeats heartless. Like that reveal is so like, Oh my God, like I can't believe my actions are causing organization 13's plans to succeed. Like there's a even more like, prescient like the pacing just keeps you moving forward and moving forward and all that stuff like it's and it knows when to deliver some classic kingdom hearts melodrama that this game really hits home not to go back on roxas but in the final mix version roxas's boss fight is like literally might be my favorite boss fight in the series and I mean, like that's iconic it's an iconic boss fight. with like with Another one of my favorite Yoko Shimomura pieces of music, The Other Promise. Like I right. I I listen to that like once a month at least. Like it is truly one of my favorite moments the franchise has ever done where it's like Roxas is fighting to prove that he he exists and is a real person, fighting his own basically fighting himself. And you're fighting a part of yourself to, because they are clawing and trying to get a, you know, their existence back, and then Roxas has to finally accept, like, no, you know, I know my place and I know my destiny. Like, oh, that that hits well. And another part that hits well in this game story is when Sora finally reunites with Riku, where he is literally crying because he's finally seeing Riku for the first time since you know the ending of KH one. Like that scene, oh that that hits me deep in my like core too. It's one of the few times like Sora like literally is brought to his knees and just like bawling his eyes out. Like he doesn't feel that for Kyrie. He doesn't cry for Kyrie. He cries <laughs> for Riku. Yeah, I mean this is. I feel like the Kingdom Hearts series is definitely one that, um, although there obviously is the romantic connection between Kyrie and um, Sora. Like the Ka- the Sora Riku relationship is one of those things that is like so much deeper than I think the relationship with uh, Kyrie, and you get such better payoff for like Sora and Riku's moments throughout oh, yeah. the series, but definitely in two, um, uh-huh. because you know one centered specifically around you know Riku losing himself, etc. Um, and you know, then into he's literally like, you know, the, um, he's still showing presenting as Ansem because he's still struggling with, you know, the darkness in his heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think like having, you know, this must be what women felt like when frozen came out and they were like, <laughs> Oh, this, you know, just a story about, you know, two sisters love for each other. It's kind <laughs> of like, you know, they're not brothers, but it's definitely like a, you know, oh, yeah. I, it, I would say like this, this pure, unconditional love for your friend, your like male friend is such a great mm-hmm. story. Yeah, it's it's 100%. You know, it's it plays to numerous strengths of 
he knows how to deliver emotions so well and he gets it so clear to the point where it's like you really understand why these characters are behaving the way they are on screen like that is Nomura's strongest quality in my opinion and that scene out of many is like you know if I had to like make a you know a, a presentation of greatest Nomura moments in his Kingdom Hearts like this is one of that's one of them among others mm. from this game honestly um, definitely yeah I just there's there's so much to talk about Kingdom Hearts 2 without like literally just sounding like gushing fanboys at this point like mm. oh I, I have a I guess a point of contention that it might be an interesting contrast to our gushing um, how do people feel about reaction commands because this also introduces a oh, yeah, thing yeah. that kind of plagues the series which is how much of it is a triangle like <laughs> cut a cut scene that you're writing triangle during and how much of it is active timing precision inputs i don't mind them because in the context of when this was which was 2006 like they probably couldn't script a means of like doing these like chaotic and extreme and exciting moments through just gameplay and they figured well will have like a sort of simple mechanic to get the things across and they take that mechanic and they do some really cool moments with it so it's never really bothered me as much as i know it's bothered some people like yeah i think uh yeah no i was just gonna say i think you know they the the way that they're presented or argued about um is not the way that I think they actually work, mm-hmm. which is, you know, where it's like, oh, this totally simplifies the game. And to me, it's like, no, the battle is still just as hard. It's just that there's these cinematic things inside the battle that they also want to show you, which just, you know, they tie it to the gameplay and make you press a button rather than just launching straight into it, right? There's so many games that you'll, you know, get to a certain point you get the you know three of the five health bars down and then a cinematic plays and then you go into the second stage of the stage of the battle mm-hmm. for kingdom hearts a lot of it is just like okay well we'll just add you know the cinematic thing as a part of the battle and turn and you'd still have to react to it mm-hmm. um to like turn it on so i understand the i understand the argument against it of course but i have far more problems with the um with the command in Kingdom Hearts three for the amusement park rides, oh, yeah. as much as I love Disney, <laughs> yeah, you know, no, those are really uh, those are I do find intrusive in a way that reaction commands are. Sometimes I think they're just used more interestingly than others, and I think people react to the less interesting use of them. But sometimes mm-hmm. they're contextual with like certain even like lower nobodies. Yeah, um, right. So, like even dusks you one of the essential ways to fight them is to use the reversal um right command, which just it, positions you let's put it this way kingdom hearts even on the ps4 remaster there wasn't an option to like turn off that part of the game in kingdom hearts 3 they had to like turn off like they added a thing where it's like either you don't have to deal with the attractions as much mm-hmm. or you could just like not deal with them entirely like I think that's, you know, Kingdom Hearts 2's mechanic is much more thought out and much more, if it's not 
gameplay like uh, stimulating at least in terms of the payoff you get for executing them is worth it in the end because like you know doing the command and it's like suddenly now i'm riding on a chandelier spinning it around the entire room and i'm bringing it across a heartless and dragging it right. around the chandelier in beast castle like i you know i get that exciting moment that's rewarding for me meanwhile it's objectively like objectively cool yeah yeah, objectively cool. Meanwhile, it's like in Kingdom Hearts 3, it's like the 30th time I'm on the pirate ship. I'm doing the pirate ship attraction. It's like, well, it's right. like, okay, <laughs> this is the same thing over and over and over again. I don't I don't know if you guys ran into this problem, but, you know, before they added, you know, the ability to cancel these, right? You know, that you yeah. could have them just not show up at all. Um, I didn't I was not aware that in Kingdom Hearts 3 where they stack reaction commands. Yes. Like that you could skip through them. And so you didn't have to do anything. So uh, there would be so many times where I would like want to do a reaction command or you know whatever they're called in Kingdom Hearts 3 and I just didn't because the first thing was the attraction, yeah. you know whatever it's called. <laughs> and so like my first my first playthrough, I think I went through 80% of that game. I might have even done a full playthrough and on my second playthrough was when I realized. But point simply being, I did like a long, long playthrough where I was not pressing like triangle commands at <laughs> all because I was just trying to avoid doing the, you know. And so when you think about that, maybe not for the boss, for the like, obviously for boss specific ones, but I feel like Kingdom Hearts 2, like they had a lot of uh, whatever they're called, like villains, not villain, uh, uh, the enemy specific mm -hmm. uh, commands, which I felt like even now when I play through them, I use them for the most mm -hmm. part. Yeah. So they're much I mean, like, canonically, more better I integrated. One of the Berserker guys. I mean, those are a right. huge pain yeah, in the yeah. ass. <laughs> yeah, exactly. no. But yeah, I think Kingdom Hearts 2 for me is a very, very special game. And we've really only scratched the surface of it. And Honestly, Kingdom Hearts 2 could get its own episode, in my opinion. Like, it, there's so much to it that, like, I could gush about, and I'm sure you guys could also gush about to anyone about this. But for, I think the sort of, like, moment that kind of ties it all for me is, like, t the very end with that ending, where it's, like, Sora and Rika are trapped in the, you know, realm of darkness on the beach, and they get the note from Kyrie, and, you know, it brings them back into the world of light. And everyone's there welcoming back on Destiny Islands. Like that, that's the magic of this. Is like, even though, like, I think everyone knew it's like, oh yeah, we're gonna get us another game after this. It's a given. Like Kingdom Hearts 2 feels like a completed journey in it in and of itself. Like played with if, one if Kingdom Hearts 2 ended, and that was like the end of the series, I think a lot of people would be like content. Yes. Like these are like you know, a collection of three um, really interesting games, mm -hmm. um, you know, and people I think would have, you know, been okay with that. It's very minor for me, minor in the grand scheme of things, but it technically was like a major pillar of the first game is like how they like made gummy ship missions actually enjoyable. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> like the gummy ship missions were the equivalent of like, taking an ambient in the first game and the second game they are like literally it's like 
making you do a line of coke and it's like yeah now we're going at full speed ahead and it's like an on-rail shooter and you were right. flying at like 5000 miles per hour in these like avant-garde locations it's insane yeah the again one of those things where it's like you look at every kingdom hearts game that came out after 2 and like you know go back to kingdom hearts 2 and say is this good and mm -hmm. like the gummy ship um for me like that was also the perfect gummy ship um mm -hmm. setup kingdom hearts 1 too boring kingdom hearts 3 too like heavy i don't i don't even know what the term of that i should be using for kingdom Dude, hearts it was too... aspects of 3 oh yeah. my god yeah yeah it was just too like it was cool from the idea of like oh you know i could go to Going. any world you know whatever but like the actual execution again i think too had like the perfect execution um it was just so much so much more fun so exhilarating to and the music was so good too mm -hmm. yeah i mean this speaks like we've been saying like every aspect of the game has just like been amped up to a level that like I don't even think people at the time were expecting that they could do it. Like, I mean, I could gush about how like the drive forms are like such an ingenious thing. And then also including the rage form as a form of punishment for abusing that system because they knew like people would just like love playing as, you know, the valor form or, um, I forget the names of all the forms in the game. There's Valor, Wisdom, Master, Final. And then there's the yeah, there's yeah, Final Ultimo form or whatever. Then there's the one that he like puts on the Kingdom Hearts One clothes. I forget that one is called, but that was a Final Mix edition. It was like a Trinity something or other, something like that. But I every bit of the, all these forms are like so well thought out and like they were just extensions of the gameplay itself and and i will say another like tiny little asterisk is the game doesn't explain rage form like why does sora turn into a little heartless like randomly you know out of the blue it's like oh yeah that's just uh as a result of the game like keep Rage form basically is there's a tracker in the game, and it, every time you use a drive form, the chances that rage form happens increases exponentially. And I was like, you know what? Like rage form is not like a bad punishment, but like I under, I understand its inclusion. Like it's there to just like say, hey, don't abuse the system, because you're gonna get stuck with you know, Sora dangling off ledges by his foot like stuff it, little things like this just like add up to the experience that like i could go back so much in with this game uh there's one thing i wanted to bring up about this game to you guys and it's one of the sort of critiques of the game is that it's too easy and i don't know if you guys had any opinions of, of it's too easy i don't know i feel like um I feel like it is mechanically less difficult than um, than the first game, um, but like at the same time, I feel like the difficulty is more 
um, I don't know, in managing the visual, like, excess of two, where, like, you kind of have to keep track of a lot more visually going on in two, and it is more spectacle. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I think it is easier, but it doesn't really, I don't know, it doesn't really bother me. I feel like there's a lot of co- uh, definitely difficult fights in it, and as you get towards the end, I mean, there's a level of, frankly the the difficulty is as hard as you want to make it i mean you can put on the zero xp thing and make it souls like out of the damn thing (laughs) um so it's really it's up to you to to ratchet it up as much as you want to feel it but um i don't know i've never noticed it or felt it to be particularly too easy i've always had a good time like okay well this boss is a little tough for me now i can like you know level up once or twice if i'm like kind of moving quick or whatever Mm -hmm. i mean I, uh, yeah, if you're looking at the main campaign, I don't know if it's necessarily easier than Kingdom Hearts 1, um, you know, but uh, I think the battles at the end, the lingering will. Oh, I God. specifically remember, like, that I had gone home uh, to my parents' house in Florida um, for Christmas break, or I had gotten surgery. That was what it was. I had gotten surgery. And so um, I was like recovering and I was just playing Kingdom Hearts 2 and I was battling the lingering well for the first time. Mm-hmm. And it got to the point where my mom was like able to sing the, you know, lingering well song um, uh, because, you know, she was uh, hearing it so much. <laughs> I think it took me eight hours to finally beat that and it was one of those things where it's like i have literally i have have gotten surgery i have literally nothing i else i could be doing right now because it's like you know christmas break and i mean you know holiday uh from work right so not necessarily christmas i guess in japan it's new year's break um but i was getting surgery over that time so i was like listen i'm just gonna play kingdom hearts 2 um (laughs) platinum it and took a long ass time. So yeah, I would say maybe the main campaign is fine, but like the additional battles at the end, you're playing on, you know, the hardest difficulty. Oh that yeah. Some um, in- insane battles. Uh, well, first, yeah. Uh, first of all, uh, we'll get to lingering well in a second. Um, but yeah, to my people, to the people who say it's easy, I say you could even play it on, um, not critic even the hardest difficulty at the start i forget the proper name for it Um, proud mode proud mode i think that one is hard like i'm i booted that up like a few years ago i was like oh yeah i could play through proud mode like no problem i get to the roxas fight and i literally get railroaded because that fight actually makes you think about the mechanics not just from a pure like you know what you've been doing for the past few hours which is kind of standard you know cage to loop and all that roxas made me realize like oh maybe i should actually remove abilities so i'm not like stuck in animations or i'm gotta learn when i have to use the reflect spell and all these stuff like i love if you ever want to challenge KH2 has it in the difficulty mode and it is actually well thought out. Like these modes, the higher difficulties on kingdom hearts games are usually really well thought out and they're not cheap. And 
bad and a lot of like a lot of other games do it they're well thought out uh the difficulty yeah. in kingdom hearts never feels um like punishing for its own sake or like cruel or whatever or unfair generally some of the handhelds have some ba- unbalanced fights in my opinion but the the mainline series at all is playable generally for like across Kingdom more. Hearts 3 was insane when I they released the like hardest difficulty on Kingdom Hearts 3 I think in addition to removing like you're being able to remove the attraction flow commands like I tried to play it I like literally could not get through it I have not beaten it at the hardest difficulty yet just because of how difficult it is I don't know if that's just me not knowing the system and like, you know, being far more familiar with Kingdom Hearts 2 system, but like, you know, I beat Lingering Will a year before I played Kingdom Hearts 3, you know, on the hardest difficulty and I wasn't able to like complete it. So yeah, Mm -hmm. um, that might be just a function of a restriction in my time and not having enough time to devote to it, but yeah. People who play in critical mode, like they are truly built different. Like I could never do critical mode. It's truly for the most insane people who want to get the most out of like Kingdom Hearts and all from what I can understand, Cage 2's critical mode is like supposedly the best one. And so if anyone listening wants a true challenge, get critical mode. If you like so feel it that you want your Dark Souls and your Kingdom Hearts, be my guest. I, it ain't for me. I I can only respect those who take up the challenge. Um, but yeah, the lingering will. Um, one of the best bonus boss fights in all of Kingdom Hearts. Like, goddamn, one of the best designs Nomura's ever done. Like, I love that suit of armor to death. Um, and that out like lingering well, and that also extends to in the final mix version, uh, the cavern cavern of remembrance, where they have you let you do every single organization member uh, boss fight, even including the ones from Chain of Memories who didn't go into Cage Two, like that is that is like peak, just like amazing gaming for me is like going in there and spending hours of my life getting knowing how to beat these characters and it's just so fun because each one of them has something new and unique from each other and chalk that up another you know gold star in kingdom hearts 2's never-ending list of gold stars like cavern of remembrance is an amazing bonus thing that they just include yeah, it, it I, we're really lucky that these games have been given such an amazing remaster at this point because, like, the final mixes not only clear up a few things, um, like, you know, storyline-wise, but they also just add a bunch of, like, really great content that, like, um, I don't know, rounds out the experience. Like, Cavern of Remembrance and those data battles are, like, a really excellent endgame, you know, pad out time where you're doing, like, you know, synthesis or... It's a really, it's in a very playable state in this current generation, which, like, you mm-hmm. can't say for every game that came out on PS2. Oh, yeah. Every PS2 game felt like it was overflowing with things that you could do. And the fact that KH2, which is a full, like, a fully realized, like, 
God, I don't know how many hours it takes to beat like on a normal playthrough. Probably like what, 30, 40 hours roughly, I think, from my memory. Like you have that and then they include all this bonus stuff that you could do if you want. Like that's something that is like not a given for most games where they don't even bother to just go the extra mile to include this out of the box, you know, uh, man, it's like Kingdom Hearts has always had such like great bonus stuff that you can just do if you want to if you're like that much like into the systems and all that stuff and I know for myself it's like I haven't even scratched the surface of this game it's like truly one of a kind and like there seems to be something new that I figure out about the systems every time I boot up the game and the only other game that I can think of that like el elicits that same feeling for me is Devil May Cry. Like Devil May Cry is equally as complex and full of content. And it's like, and it's packaged in it's the fact that it's like Kingdom Hearts has that. It's like really, really special to me. Like this, this silly concept of again, Disney and Square Enix. And it's like, you create this masterpiece of a game and you gift it to me on a silver platter. Like what else could I ever ask for? I feel like, um, yeah, they're it's they're so generous with it. I, I feel like we should talk about the, um, the kind of mid game, like mid climax and, um, radiant garden. Oh yeah. Um, so you're it's like your hub world and you know there's like development there of basically them trying to reestablish the town and there's a huge like heartless invasion or whatever and i remember this being like hyped up like kids were like talking to me on the playground about like yeah, oh, yeah. Like, there's a, a thousand heartless battle you're gonna fight a thousand heartless all at once and it's like you know and you see how they did it and you're like okay and it's but know, still like a good job yeah the effect still works like if you know how they did it, like it removes a little bit of the magic, but like to be in a fight where you're just like surrounded by literal hundreds of heartless and like, it has the tracker too of like how many you've defeated. Like mm. it's simple stuff that goes the, goes the distance and it feels so like it really does sort of highlight how cage two feels so gigantic in scope and size and content where you're just, you're in a fight where it's like, yeah, you just defeated 10,000 or a thousand of these enemies, like in a few minutes, like, isn't that the coolest thing ever? Like amongst all the other amazing things that Kingdom Hearts 2 throws at you. Like, I mean, and it, it's like totally, you know, within the bounds of the story, right? The That part, I believe, is when um, like it's revealed to Sora that um destroying the heartless is like helping the nobodies mm -hmm. right so believe, like yeah yeah maybe maybe it's not but um if it wasn't it would be a great place to have put it because you know the struggle of okay well obviously i need to defeat these heartless but i also am just furthering the you know um nobody's organization's um sinister goals in mm -hmm. doing so you know i think that that is such a interesting interesting uh you know um conundrum for mm -hmm. sora 
And that yeah. goes back to like kind of the opposite for Roxas, right? Where it's like, okay, you don't want to do this, but you know you have to do this. Where yeah. Roxas is, you know, going back to Sora so that Sora can um, awaken. Mm-hmm. And then with Sora, it's like you don't want to to be destroying Heartless, but you know you have to be. Um, because if you don't, then they'll take over other people's hearts. So yeah. that kind of, you know, and as we'll find out later, you know, that nobody's could grow hearts on their own, right? Yes. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, like... Obviously. Obviously, <laughs> of course, that was totally something that was planned from the beginning, right? Yeah. The, the you know the i i was sitting here thinking like what is what is the bad thing that i could say about kingdom hearts 2 not much it is just yeah not much i mean because like even things with the story like you only need to play one game chain of memories to like understand really the you know background lore for kingdom hearts 2 um and I think that in Kingdom Hearts 2, the organization is interesting and intriguing enough, mysterious enough, that, you know, you kind of do feel like, okay, um, who are these guys? But you're curious to continue playing and finding out. Whereas in the later series, you get like the, uh, you know, you're plagued by just not understanding the mechanics of the story. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not just, I don't know who this person is. It's like, I don't know who this person is. And they're giving like this dialogue for some logic of something happening that I didn't even know happens. And I don't understand the logic anyway. So even if I did know it happened, I'm not sure that it would actually matter. Mm-hmm. Like in Kingdom Hearts 2, it's so it's so much more tight. And everything mm-hmm. is relatively like, you know, straightforward. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I think that's just another like another reason why it's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, the best in the series for sure in my opinion yeah to go off what you said a little bit earlier what i love kingdom hearts 2 turns your gameplay actions into like story beats itself and i love how the game kind of is aware it doesn't treat the gameplay and the story as two separate entities that just kind of coexist the gameplay and the story are actually woven together at places and i've that's just something I think is a really smart inclusion that not many people probably realize when they're playing it. It's like, oh yeah, like of course that like they it's sort of just taken for granted sort of thing. But it's it's again that one little detail that just elevates the experience this already amazing experience even farther beyond. And yeah, I mean, there really is there's, so much. There's this um there's this also abstractness with like the goals of the organization. So like the bad guys ultimately, as far as we know at, at this time, um, what their goal is, is to open up kingdom hearts, uh, some sort of power that will grant them nobodies who are bodies without hearts um, mm-hmm. to grant them hearts to become whole. And like, there's this kind of running existential crisis of all nobodies or at least ones that can talk um <laughs> that they're like um they're like the disney dogs some can talk and some can't arbitrarily yes. um but uh nobodies are like all have this lack uh 
looking for this nebulous thing of like a heart and it's kind of a soul and it's kind of your essence um but it also as we see later it's like um it doesn't seem to be as necessary as they think it is it, at least at this time so it's a very mm-hmm. interesting uh motivation to have something as abstract and also kind of hard to hate them uh yeah. for wanting to become whole i mean they're basically just like yeah like you know you guys get to like feel and exist and be real people and like they're like walking talking humans that are affecting the world around them and yeah. then, yet they're like yeah but we don't actually exist though like we're not real yeah the 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 organization members are really unique villains for this franchise especially when in the previous games there was a clear distinction of like good and evil per se like in the first game it's like sora good guy is versus like you know uh ansem seeker of darkness and maleficent like clear-cut bad guys but i like how in cage 2 they add just not like being full like it's actually gray not black and white it's just like a sprinkle enough to make you think like oh these people you know these entities who clearly look like people and they even emote like people like their goals granted excluding Zemnis as the leader like he obviously has more malicious intent with his vision and obviously as Kingdom Hearts progress you learn the sort of grander plot of that all but like all this sort of subordinate members of King of Organization 13 like they all are just kind of wanting to go back to sort of their more just how the thing, the way things were before they lost their hearts and they just became empty husks. And I think it's best exemplified by Axel. Like, I mean, you know, Axel is kind of like every girl's like favorite character. Like he's the fan favorite. And he and Axel knows he is the fan favorite, which is kind of funny that he is like kind of aware how popular he is. Um, and you really do see like his struggle throughout the game, you know, with his connection to Roxas that three five eight over two days obviously explores later on in when that game comes out. But you see his sort of trying to break free of the chains of the organization and eventually learning to not hate Sora, but learn that Sora made him feel emotions just like how Roxas did, which, you know, Roxas and Sora are one person, so to say, but it's a very, like Axel's story is a very touching little self-contained story that has a very beautiful payoff when he sacrifices himself to save Sora. Like, I, I really love how Axel kind of symbolizes like the these other members of the organization and their sort of wants and goals. Yeah, um, I mean the it is funny. <clears throat> it is funny when you think about, you know, the nobody's not having emotions, being empty husks. Um, because like the I mean, so to be honest, I I almost forgive uh Tetsuya Nomura for his like you know retcon of oh actually nobody's can grow hearts um <laughs> you know um and you know because 
I think from the perspective of the, you know, gamer, us <laughs> watching this story unfold, you know, it never made too much sense that, you know, the nobodies didn't have emotions, right? Because some of the most poignant, like emotional moments happen with the organization 13 members like Xion. Mm-hmm. that battle between Roxas and Xion is like held up as the most one of the best battles and one of the most emotional and so the fact that you could say oh they didn't have they didn't have hearts they didn't have emotions it didn't make any real sense mm-hmm. so yeah maybe it's good that they that they went back and amended that but yeah yeah I mean that's that's always been part of the franchise is Nomura kind of going back and actually you know contradicting or uh retconning parts but i but it, it kind of lets i'm sorry no 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 you go oh uh, it but it kind of like in retrospect though you can almost it like lets you do a different read of it where you know um as i forget my thought as i interrupted you uh that like you're seeing all of these things that contradict the fact that everyone is just telling you they're not real. They're not real people like, Oh wow. They're faking their emotions. And yeah, like all of the most aggro or movie <laughs> or uh, emotional people in the game were like, you know, these people are like, okay. And just a reminder, we don't actually exist, but here we yeah. are affecting you and everything. Yeah. It's like when you have a character like Syx, who is the berserk, berserker class in in like in a normal rpg and he's supposed to be emotionless okay i whatever you say Nomura, but like yeah like i he, the he's thing the is great like it's him as like the stewing berserker like he's gonna yes. go off eventually and you can tell that he's always pissed but he's just keeping it like under wraps or whatever <laughs> it's a brilliant use of that character yeah and i know the average person would it, this is why Kingdom Hearts is like one a great soap opera. Is like, not only are you seeing this sort of story progress, but like the retcons that he does, like Nomura does to his own creation, like, like you said, it makes you think back on earlier entries with a new light, a new reading of it all. And even then, like I've never been like one to be like pulling out a highlighter and be like this is different from what you said two games earlier what's going on here like you're a hack you're a fraud whatever i've like to me it's just kind of been like this organic thing that always evolves and changes and you know maybe nomura <laughs> didn't think things through but he's like oh actually you know nobody's can grow hearts and like they're actual people too like all this like compounding ever growing thing like it becomes like juicier to sink your sink your teeth into as a result like i'm it's like i'm on the wild ride of kingdom hearts and i'm going to see things changed possibly in future games i'm going to get things that are explained to me for no reason other than because it has to be reiterated for another point like that's been sort of the fun for me as as a Kingdom Hearts fan is just to see how things are changed around or edited after the fact. But even then, like I don't think this would subtract from Kingdom Hearts too. Is like the whole nobodies, these emotionless people are clearly feeling emotions. Like what's going on here, sort of thing. That's never no. I think it adds to it in like a really cool yeah. way. 
yeah, it's some people losers will get like hung up on this fact. I'm just like, don't like why like you're there you're creating a roadblock that does not have to be made. Like ev- this is bikes this is why I think people who p- get into Kingdom Hearts have to play this in release order. This is like the one of the downsides to the 1.5 and 2.5 thing is I get why they're pu- they're putting games kind of in like a package that feels correct but it's not correct release order and i feel like by playing these games in the order that they came out in i think adds to the experience and you really get a better sense of like where thing why things are happening and as a player as a you know someone experiencing this i think it adds to the experience of like seeing all these things like change around and being warped and swapped around like i don't know yeah because because he he tetsuya nomura builds game to game rather than an overarching story right so if suddenly Mm -hmm. you're playing one game you know um before uh a game that came out you know before it Mm-hmm. You're going to be building, you're going to like be playing a game that has a bunch of different concepts that he fleshed out, like in the previous game, just totally absent, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, like you're, you're going into Birth by Sleep, for example. Like, if you're like, oh, I'm going to play this in the order of, you know, um, the timeline release, and that's your first time going in, there's so much that he's built off of in kingdom hearts one and two that you just don't have the context for um and like it's not just the story context it's also just the the thought process behind things how like battle mechanics evolved you know Mm. because kingdom hearts one battle mechanics compared to birth by sleep are like totally different but if you're playing it in order it feels much more like natural of a progression yeah yeah, so anyone listening, I know that it would be easy to play 1.5 games in their totality and 2.5 games in their totality, but I would recommend trying to do it in release order because that adds to the sort of unique experience of like a soap opera video game franchise. And because there's not many of these that exist. I mean, I go back to always Metal Gear as like the premier soap opera experience because much like Kingdom Hearts, like the storyline, like each game's like a different part of the timeline and parts of it get story get changed or stuff gets like, oh, here's the big twist and all that stuff. And I would still say to people, don't play Metal Gear in story order play it in release order because that way you're getting not only how this you know you're getting the story as how it progresses as you as a player but you're also getting to see how the evolution of the series is like going along too and i think if you were to play like let's say like i play one chain of memories to three five eight i wouldn't get the same impact like kingdom hearts 2 is going for like doing that i would still say like play kingdom hearts 1 then chain of memories then 2 because that's how it was meant to be experienced and yeah i mean 
No, because canonically you need to play two, be confused by Roxas, play yeah. three fifty eight over two, understand the full weight of his final week where mm-hmm. he's living his perfect dream, and then be completely crushed on the replay of two. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, fair point. Obviously, like and this is another thing I forgot to mention too, is like I know people will say like when you boot up two, there's always that confusion if you didn't play Chain of Memories. But even Nomura acknowledged that, like, he knew that people would, that's, like, actually what he wanted people to feel, was confused and unsure, like, what's going on at the start. And it was okay that not everyone knew what was going on, because that's what he wanted. And that's, I just want to mention I was exactly that case, where I had not, you know, I hadn't played the missing piece in between, and I was not turned off by it i was so intrigued i was like what is going on who is this and they they tease sora the whole time it's not like he's absent he's a lingering presence in (laughs) roxas's dreams and like you know it's all around sora so it's it's, people who say that it has nothing to do with the rest of the games like it's immediately feeding you stuff from the first game and you just have to be curious enough to not you know bounce off oh yeah no totally but yeah i mean what else I feel like if I keep talking about KH2, I'm going to be like talking about like the f- most minutia of details. Be like, how about those summons, guys? Isn't Stitch a great summon? Or What about Chicken Little? Uh, hey, I don't no, hate I Chicken like... Little. Like, Chicken Little <laughs> is a fine enough summon. Uh, I always preferred Stitch, personally, because Stitch had yeah, better, Stitch like... Um, but yeah, like... Unless you all, you guys have any more to say, I think we can progress into the next game. Yeah. I am good to go. (laughs) So I think that's where we can go properly into the next game, which is Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep. Okay, quick, before we get into Birth by Sleep, I need to talk about the third game, technically, the second game, whatever you want to call it, of the 2.5, which is Recoded. Um, I don't have much to say about Recoded. It's probably on the my trash tier entry of yeah. the franchise. Um, it's pretty so, bad. I mean, it, well, okay, it's not bad. <laughs> it's It's special. It's special. It's um, it's its own little daycare center. Um, I, and you pick it up at the end of the day, and it's like so. Uh, <laughs> um, 
for those who don't know what Recoded is, it was originally called Kingdom Hearts Coded. It was a Japanese exclusive phone game uh, where it was released in separate eight, I think eight episodes uh, spread across, I think, uh, one year. And then they eventually ported that all that into one DS game, uh, eventually called Recoded. Um, there isn't really much to say because the story is a big nothing burger, um, where the main crux of the game is learning what the note is at the end of Kingdom Heart 2's uh, ending. That's literally... And then you're just like deciphering what's in Jiminy's journal. And I'm just like, I could not care. I could not care. It's like, uh, it's pretty criminal and evil that they, for the remasters, took just the story from this game. Which is like, arguably, the only thing that's like, yeah, the only thing that you could really stand up for (laughs) is that they did some interesting um, kind of gimmick concessions with all of the revisiting Kingdom Hearts 1 worlds. Where yeah, I mean, you would have, you know, a turn-based world for Hercules, a side-scroller for Wonderland, uh, etc. Yeah. And those had a level of novelty and fun of like, okay, so yeah, you're retreading the world, but you get to do these kind of like fun mini-game kind of things. Yeah, I mean, that. this is the same thing, but like on a different side of a coin, where like 358 got turned into a cutscene movie, and I felt like that was wrong because even though people complain the gameplay of that game is kind of dull, but I'm like that the gameplay adds to the story of three, five, eight. And I'm like it being turned to a cutscene movie kind of just nullifies the impact of it. Meanwhile, recoded getting turned into a cutscene movie doesn't do it justice because the story is, is, uh, as boring as watching clothes dry um because the gameplay like you said taylor it's the only interesting part of the game you know it's basically a pretty competent comparison kh2 type gameplay when you're not doing the sort of unique set piece mini game type events and you have the unique thing where you're combining uh different uh, abilities to create new ones like that's a genuinely fun mechanic and the gameplay is actually pretty solid like pretty i would say great at its best to you know good at its worst it's not turning into a cutscene movie just highlights just the story which the story is nothing like you're playing as data sora and it's just like it doesn't matter because it's not the real sora and you know you're retreading elements of the first game and it's like the only way i could potentially find any value is like this weird like external thing of kingdom hearts constantly like remaking the first game mostly because of budgetary slash what the console it was on at the time the story basically only has like camp value if you're like a longtime fan of the series. I mean, there's a whole subplot where it's like data, so the bad thing is bugs. So <laughs> there's, this, there's so many iconic lines about Riku being filled with bugs or yeah. something. Listen, um, listen, 
when Sora is, you know, saying saying to Mickey, real life Mickey, who is observing data Sora, saying, Mickey, it's Riku. They put bugs in him. What? It's like And it's but, it's unfortunate, but it is like, you know, um it's a, the whole game is like that. So yeah, it, it's <laughs> it if you are genuinely curious about recoded find a way to emulate the ds version like because actually i'll say that the gameplay um like the the size of the gameplay and convince you to do made sense on mobile so like it really did work as a ds game like i played it on the train a lot Um, yeah yeah yeah. but yeah it's it it is um not, not the peak of the series for sure. It's got some cool mechanical um like conceits to it, but it it doesn't really add a whole lot in the general sense. It's it's a fun um way to kind of be in the waters of Kingdom Hearts without doing anything too heavy lifting or complicated. It it is the game equivalent of girl. Come on, girl, give us nothing. It's I'm there was don't this, give me a single piece. <laughs> yeah. There was this like recurring, it's been proven to be false, but there was this like sort of urban tale that Nomura came up with this game while he was drunk. And that's been proven false, but I kind of believe it because it's so like this like feels like Nomura when he's like at his like laziest i hate to say that no but i kind of i kind of believe it because if like the first game is him doing an elevator pitch something aspirational you're trying to get someone on board with your idea you got a great like kind of you know high level thing and this is like a drunken ramble of like yeah it's like the first one but it's uh there's bugs and the bugs <laughs> are in, they're in the journal and you have to get the I bugs mean, out i mean the listen the co-director of the game, Hajime Tabata, who I have issues with, um, because he's the director of Final Fantasy XV. Uh, when he says that the idea sounds terrible at first, then I think maybe you should reevaluate your pitch. Um, I just there's nothing really to say about Recoded. It's I I can only just like my only recommendation if you're like if you are genuinely curious is just to play the find a way to play the DS one just to sort of experience the gameplay because the story is nothing and it has barely any importance to anything in the king of the series. I feel like recoded added fuel to the fire to the haters of this franchise and man i just i don't know <laughs> i'm grasping at straws trying to think of you know code. what i'm just now realizing is that i've played the ds version i've played the ds version i think i've beaten the ds version and oh i've just memory hold it so much that even like listening to an entire conversation around recoded where i'm like or around coded where i'm like i don't really think that i have any thing much to contribute right now like oh no i actually did play this game it's yeah, just I finished such it. a like such a blip a very tiny blip on my radar 
or in my memory bank that, you know, it didn't even make an impact until I actually sat down and thought about it. You, you know and, what they Yeah. You, you know what they should have done for the 2.5? I mean, granted, I don't think they could have, but 2.5 really should have just been KH2, Birth by Sleep, and then 0.2. Like 0.2 I know is very, very short, but at least there is something substant substantive about the story in that. You know, because you get to see more of Aqua. Recoded should have just been like condensed into like a text scroll that you could have read. It's like, here's what the note said here's what they did to get the note uh data sora learns about the concept of hurt that's it like i mean it is so just like well uh, i don't know it's this is genuinely the lowest point in the franchise for me <laughs> i was yeah i don't know about yeah. you but let, let, let's get into birth by sleep sound good Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay, okay.
Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep originally came out on January 9, 2010 in Japan, but it came to America a few months later, September 7th, 2010. It was a PSP exclusive, uh, a new console for the franchise. It was a it was a prequel for the franchise. So instead of progressing the story forward, they decided Nomura decided to go backwards and tell the story of Terra, Aqua, and Ventus as they uh, try to stop disturbances across worlds, and then soon they get entwined in this cataclysmic uh, battle to uh, open Kingdom Hearts and restart the Keyblade War. And so I wanted to know what you guys think of uh, Birth by Sleep. Uh, this one's an interesting one. Uh, I guess Nick, um, you can start. Sure. Um, <laughs> I remember I borrowed my friend's PSP to play this because he had it on there. Um, and I don't know how much later after the game had come out, probably two, two to three years later, um, that I was playing it for the first time. And I remember, I, I remember loving it. I remember it was the first time playing, you know, an action RPG, um, Kingdom Hearts, uh, on a handheld because Chain of Memories was, you know, obviously a much different system um than you know a normal kingdom hearts game but this mm -hmm. felt like a normal kingdom hearts game on a portable um and i loved i remember wanting so bad for kingdom hearts 3 and like every subsequent game that came out wanting that um the battle system to be used from birth by sleep i don't know what the take on the battle system is with like where you meld commands essentially or abilities together mm -hmm. um if like the general take is that system was worse or you know the other system was better but i remember you could make like you know take your magic and make like a flaming keyblade like slingshot you know and that would burn the enemies or whatever mm -hmm. um and like that i just thought that was so cool i remember mm -hmm. feeling that was like the coolest thing i'd seen in the game um and i was so sad that it didn't really make a comeback mm -hmm. but yeah overall i love the story as well mm -hmm. um you know i felt like it was much you know it didn't have to be as deep as a normal kingdom hearts one or two uh like mainline game quote unquote but it had a very deep story um as well as like uh you know what i found to be very uh, very good like uh worlds that they were putting in there as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Taylor, what do you think about Birth of I Sleep? So I um had an, the opposite experience where I my first handheld Kingdom Hearts game was three five eight, which is likely why I, you know bonded to that one so hard. Mm -hmm. uh, and then actually recoded was the next handheld I played after that because I played this Birth by Sleep as a um part of the first remaster. Mm -hmm. Um first time they put it on as a uh playable i think it was on ps3 at the time yep. Um, yep, yep so it was it was interesting playing something clearly meant for a portable um thing as as a blown up full screen thing next to literally like kingdom hearts one and two and like 
you know, next to the arguably some of the best action RPGs, in, you know, of all time. Oh, yeah. Um, so, but I, I do really, really like Birth by Sleep. Um, particularly, I like the kind of um, doomed melancholy that is different than the melancholy in the other games where there's this, you know, your Sora is always so hopeful, but there's kind of um, the dramatic irony of knowing where it's all going to end, especially because you end up playing three uh, different, the three different characters uh, version of events or not version, or I guess what they see mm-hmm. of a set of events that they're all involved in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it all comes together with them um, in this climactic battle at the end. Um, so you know how kind of everything goes after your first playthrough. And then every time after there's this kind of, you know, increased drama of you're learning why that person acted like that. What, what, when they seemed so out of character and strange, it was because they had just experienced this mm-hmm. or something. Um, yeah. And that was an interesting thing for the broken up narrative was the first time I think in the series that they had done. Well, I guess if you count chain of memories, but that's more of like a side, a side B kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it has a lot of interesting firsts and I do like the combat a lot. Um, I do remember finding a groove of it of this is one of the first ones where I found it exploitable by, you know, doing certain melds and making uh, certain combos that just felt like you could just churn through people, but in kind of a good way, I, I didn't get mm-hmm. that in chain of memories. Yeah. Um. So I, I think it's, it's a, I'm a little bit tougher on it because I didn't have that, like the magic of it's kingdom hearts in your hands on the train in the back of a car. Mm-hmm. you know um at, at the first impression of that um yeah. i'd still love to play through it on a handheld one day well you got to get what yourself one of these baby you got to get your own hey. which, which <laughs> by the way i love how the last thing that i that's in here is birth by sleep that i have uh oh, yeah what else would you play uh well I, my psp collection is not that big right now it's it's got I've, i obviously have the metal gear games on here uh, I have Pat Upon, uh, Wipeout Pure, a bunch of other ones I can't see right now because my PSP collection is in the bottom of my shelf that I can't see right now. But yeah, it there you are right because I experienced this later when it was on console, so it was weird to see like a Kingdom Hearts that clearly was meant for portable screens blown up to a TV size experience, but. I think, you know, Birth by Sleep is definitely the turning point for some people in the sense of some people love it, some people hate it, and I think it didn't help that, like, Birth by Sleep was teased at the end of 2, and it was very much believed that Kingdom Hearts, or Birth by Sleep was going to be Kingdom Hearts 3, and then it turned out not to be Oh, and it's also on a you know a handheld system. It's like okay, what's this gonna be? And then the combat's like a weird little spinoff uh, of the KH two formula, you know. But I've I think what I came to really appreciate about Birth by Sleep is the is itself is you know the combat. It's not like the best in the franchise, but the command you know the command deck and all that stuff. There's a lot of flexibility for you to experiment with different, you know, uh, abilities and all that stuff. 
I think the three characters that you play are all very well thought out, even when Terra is uh as bright as as dull as a doorknob. Um the sort of the fact that they were able to sort of cram a grand Kingdom Hearts story and experience on a small screen, I think was admirable at the time, and it still is, I think. And I think what I love the most is the story of the this like doomed story of these three characters that in a way they parallel the sort of main trio that we have of Sora Riku and Kairi. You have Ventus being your sort of Sora, where he's trying to go on his own adventure to be a Keyblade Master. You have Terra being like your Riku stand-in who's trying to deal with the darkness inside of him and then you have aqua who is cunted down as andrew once said um and she's my favorite character she's one of my favorite characters namura's ever both designed and i love her in birth by sleep and the whole franchise she's my beloved i think what i think birth by sleep's biggest sort of strengths are in that trio the fact that you could play three different campaigns the fact that you get to see three different basically three different stories and three different sort of struggles that they all have and it, the fact that it's all kind of tied together in a very like uh melancholic doom is was kind of ex- different for kingdom hearts at the time i think it it doesn't go full like pessimistic and dour full-blown as i think you know it could have but still like it ends on a very sour and bittersweet note for these characters i mean ventus is left as a like you know a shell of himself you have Terra, who's been fully possessed by xehanort and then you have aqua who's trapped in the realm of darkness i mean i would argue this is probably the darkest entry in the franchise for that alone there's even... um you go, oh, you go. there's something also about um the with the disney worlds nick i also agree that these are actually some of my favorite disney worlds that you go to because it's some of the original movies i think all three rights mm-hmm. snow white cinderella and um sleeping beauty um and the way that they physical they make physical those spaces is really cool and kind of i feel like the last time no one's going to make like a 3d video game about cinderella or snow white or whatever so you know and not in a like princess movie branded Mm. kind of thing so it's kind of a cool thing as like a disney nerd to see those like spaces but also that like in kingdom hearts 2 where you would revisit and there would be follow-up context to events that you saw in the first visit um in birth by sleep there's three different during the timelines you kind of visit the world at different points so you can see the repercussions of someone else of like tara's visit or of something aqua did or like you know you can see uh sometimes the repercussions of the other uh members of the trio and sometimes just the events like if you got to see some part of a movie and you're like oh i really wish we got to see this set piece or whatever and it was kind of exciting to be like, oh, you do from this character alone gets to interact and like, because I, I think there's a few 
sections where certain characters or maybe at least at the beginning or like set up in different parts of the map uh-huh. um, and given like their own kind of like focus when they're in the world that's not the same character to character yeah I, I will give birth by sleep credit this is probably like the best game in terms of integrating the disney world into the plot the overarching plot of the game and like you said it's actually nice to see these like older properties being represented in something other than just like a movie so to see like you know enchanted dominion with sleeping beauty or castle of dreams and cinderella like there is like a very fun experience of not only get to experience that but like have like the main kingdom hearts story kind of be a part of this separate disney world because that's what a lot of people kind of criticize kingdom hearts sometimes is how the disney worlds feel like they're inconsequential and they're just like recapping the movie uh like i think kingdom hearts 3 has that problem sometimes a lot <laughs> frozen world um like but i really hey hey let's not forget big hero 6 too well okay yeah but does big hero 6 have like recreate the music video in frozen where you see like the watermark from the movie that, that one was pretty egregious that one i mean real... like, like <laughs> we'll get there <laughs> we'll get there one day like i like kingdom hearts 3 but there are some like who boy moments so it's like disney did not let you off the leash um but i like that because it is a prequel i like that even the returning worlds like uh olympus coliseum like there's even new uh perspectives like you get to see a young hercules in this one and also me personally i posted this earlier today uh as a recording uh i posted how i love like how aqua and zach in the olympus coliseum have like their little Zach wants to date her like little mini story and that always like kind of puts a smile on my face because I love Zach from FF7 like (laughs) the main trio has like their own little moments in these Disney worlds and that goes a long way I think in the enjoyment because like going through this game basically three different times like each character has to have like their own defining moments that separate each travel unique. And I like that about each of the world is like, like you said earlier, there feels like there's a reaction to events that one character did. And also the fact that they play into the grander story, I think is great. It's it's, this is a, one of birth by sleeps, like maybe not fully appreciated aspect. Maybe it is. It's just like, Hey, they they incorporated the Disney stuff very well, and it's enjoyable. Um, how do you guys feel about the unversed? Because I I feel mixed. Yeah, I mean, from a from a story perspective, I think that is one of those things that you know, uh, <laughs> where unfortunately Nomura by not planning these things out, these are the things that kind of come up, right? Where you have to factor in, well, why did the unverse suddenly go away, right? So I think to your point, 
like I'm not sitting there with like a highlighter saying like, oh, you know, this is a plot hole. You know, it is just one of those things where it's like when you're trying to enjoy the entirety of the like series, you do want to like logically understand it as well. Right. But from things like the unversed, you know, being something that I guess was centered around um, Vanitas. So so they were like around because of Vanitas specifically. So when he was, you know, when he went away, then you didn't have the unversed problem anymore. But it is one of those things where it's like very interesting that there's always like this new group of like beings that you would anticipate to always be around given the Mm -hmm. circumstances like coming cropping up every game so yeah but i think at this point it's like okay well that's just nomura's style right he's gonna Mm -hmm. create a you know side game that has an entirely new set of like villains enemies etc entirely new game mechanics and he's going to make those like actually substantial plot points that Mm -hmm. you will have to reckon with in the next upcoming like main franchise game i like the of the three main sort of mob enemies heartless nobodies and unversed i would say from the unversed is the last place of the three for me but what i like about the unversed is that they have a connection to like one of the main characters in ventus slash vanitas you know that sort of thing i do like that there is a personal connection to their existence and again much like how the nobodies were like very unique and uh beings and creatures i like how the unversed are also given their own fair shot in terms of the way they look and the way they're animated and all that they're all these sort of just jagged edges and weird shapes and you know Granted, I think of like the basic of basic unverse, the little pointy thing with like the floaty arms, like I think they're called the flood. Like Well, I ha- I have a particular gripe with one of the uh designs, specifically um the one that looks kinda like a beetle that is kind of meant to replace the fat body um enemy where it's like a heavy, hard to it just gets pissed and like blocks oh, a yeah, bunch yeah, of yeah. attacks. But there's no obvious counter or either that or I'm stupid and never figured it out because no, I, there's I a know. it's a the behind them, right? Uh, is it just behind to, them? There's one enemy that for sure, if you, you know, they they get angry and they become like a balloon, right? And yes. then they have like a wheel on the back. And if you hit them on yes. the back, then it releases oh, no, no, no. the pressure. No, that's a, that's a different one. No, it's um, they kind of look like a beetle standing on its back legs. Um, maybe like a moth with its wings in. I don't know. Anyways, so I've, I find some of the mechanics a little less tight, I guess, than like, you know, there's a, in like uh, Kingdom Hearts 1 and 2, there's a clear um, counter to uh, large body. I think called them fat bodies. It's a large body. The bru- I think they're the bruiser, I think is what yeah. you're, um, sounds, I mean, for me, the, the way I always dealt with them was either shot lock or just magnet. Because oh, I learned, I, I I learned very quickly that magnet is a spell that kind of or a command. That one kind of is a very strong command in the game, so I just kind of learned to abuse that very quickly, and uh, I learned you know getting attack haste you know made 
dealing with just these lesser mob characters very like a cakewalk and i said this on my finale last year of like people complaining about a game that has like too many options or whatever but i think for me like there's a fun of having like infinite options to like approach combat and breaking a game is not as end of the world as some people claim and you know birth by sleep much like you know uh like chain of memories can be broken uh not too hard like i always find a game is fun that you can break it because like there's a way to just kind of like optimize everything but yeah i magnet is like my go-to in in birth by sleep it's like always on my command deck no matter what and i'm maxing that thing out as best as i can um but i guess the un the unversed are, are are a neat idea i guess for me they sit in the same realm as the dream eaters do in in dream drop distance where it's like i like the designs like they're unique and colorful and distinct enough from uh the other sort of like heartless no you know the heartless nobodies and all that stuff so I think they're fine as the sort of main enemies in Birth by Sleep, but I'm not going to be like praising them like the nobodies in two. Uh, but I think with Birth by Sleep, really for me, like the strongest point or the strong, the part that I always hook onto with Birth by Sleep is that sort of main theme of just like it's like Sora Sora Riku and Kairi they have a story told from a very romantic sense of like they want to go out into the world and they want to adventure and all that sort of stuff but like Ventus, Terra and Aqua have a very different perspective as being trained to be keyblade masters and so it's their story is kind of a different spin on that and i think what really hooks me is that sort of bittersweet thing to see this sort of trio being separated coming together one time and then being separated again for like literally 10 years in various states of just like brokenness um and to see, I know because the people will like rag on Terra. Like, I guess a fair question is like, how do you guys feel about this this trio of Ventus, Terra, and Aqua? Like, do you think they're a good little trio on their own, or do you have problems with them? You got something to say, Taylor? I saw that smile. <laughs> uh, so I. I feel like I feel about them kind of all this in the same increment that I think they work really well together. I mean, they clearly have the archetypes of which they're like fulfilling. Um, I do feel like Tara is kind of biting into like Aqua is also the stoic. So it's kind of hard for Tara to also be kind of stoic and with withheld because mm -hmm. it's like, that's Aqua's bit. Like find mm. your own. <laughs> well, he, um, he he's brooding. Yeah, you know, he's he he's, try, he's trying he's to do the brooding. Riku brooding. 
Yeah, but I don't know. Riku just is doing it somehow different. He's built different. Well, um, we, much like his voice actor said, Riku's a sexy guy. He, he is. I will I will always bring up that quote whenever I can. Yeah. Um, a... it, is, <laughs> it is it is a really cool thing as a as a trio, um, that their their base combos uh reflect their personality slash archetype and that um through like the D Link system you can borrow moves from uh your friends. Mm-hmm. So, um, if you're like, you know, playing as Terra and you want to do more magic, you can borrow moves from Aqua, you know, to do more magic. And it's, it does kind of show this like, um, bond between the characters, even though they're like at odds or kind of distant in the actual mm-hmm. plot at that time. Yeah. I mean, that is something like, not only are they distinct in their personalities and designs, but their gameplay is unique. You know, Ventus being kind of the speedy in-between, Aqua being the magician, you know, the wizard, you know, magic-centric character, and Terra being the strength character. I like how they're all distinct in more ways than just the story is dictating them. And the D-Link system is a great compromise of, like, if you're not proficient as, like, you know, Terra being strength, you can borrow from others and, you know, vice versa for the other ones. So I do, I really do like this trio. Uh, there are moments where I'm just like, it does feel like Aqua is babysitting her special needs children at times. Like it's, you know, she has, she's the glue that keeps everything together. Gotta uh, keep Ventus from running into traffic. Yeah, I mean, okay, yeah. I mean, keep Ventus keep Ventus from running in traffic and uh, Tara from talking to the shady guy in, around the corner. Literally. It's like, oh boy. Uh, what do you think of this trio, Nick? Do you, do you love uh, or hate them? I don't hate them. Um, I wouldn't say that, right, they're my favorite trio. I think that, I don't know if that goes to... Destiny Islands trio, or if that goes to probably Roxas, Axel, and Shion, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I think just from the aspect that you know, it's like Aqua does feel more like a babysitter at certain points <laughs> than like a real friend, um, or like a mother. <laughs> you know, the sacrifices that she makes to me the sacrifice that Aqua makes for Terra at the end, I can comprehend it as like a, um, you know, sign of friendship. But to me, that's like more like a, you know, traditional mother's sacrifice, right? Like the mother will, you know, mother sacrifice herself, right. To <laughs> save her child. Yeah. You know? And, and, and so I think like through the remainder of the series, through like Aqua's little story and you know point two, um, zero point two, and through like Kingdom Hearts three, I think it stabilizes itself much more. But it is one of those things where it's like, God, that she got the real fucking short end of that stick. She you know, suffers. For, uh, she suffers so much. I know. It's so unfair. And, and, like totally needlessly. Like she's wandering for what ten years, and yeah, hopefully she... it feels shorter. You know, to yeah. her, but it's like, yeah, oh, like hi, one. That is, well, you know, 
what is he trying to say with that you know yeah story beat it he Nomura like really puts Aqua through hell through birth like her whole trajectory into three but like I guess I'm not I've never been so harsh on Ventus and Terra as a lot like I mean if you look at like what a lot of people generally will say about like Terra for example like to quote uh to quote the game itself more like Terra Bowl um like <laughs> Terra gets the short end of the stick from a lot of people because he a lot of people call him stupid and at moments yeah he is kind of uh got nothing in his coconut brain but even then like how he behaves and this the same applies to ventus like they're still true to their characters and they behave exactly how they would you know tara it has an inferiority complex and he's trying to prove himself and learning that he has aqua basically uh being his mom protect you know making sure he doesn't uh let the darkness overcome him i can understand like the way he reacts in certain in cases where he feels like he's trying to prove himself but yet he's got like the dutiful eye always watching him making sure he stays in line so i always understood like his need to prove that he is more than his failure at the beginning of the game at the mark of mastery exam and for ventus i can understand his sort of brash nature wanting to see the worlds and be an adventurer much like sora and again having aqua being like go home ventus like what are you doing like i get why they don't want Ventus exploring, but at the same time, like I can understand why Ventus would feel like no one believes in him and no one sort of sees what he wants to do. And he acts responsibly for a teenage boy. And he's like, you know, fuck you, mom. I, you know, I, I'm going to do my own thing. So I can understand the choices and reasons that the characters do. Like, I get that. Like, I'm a, it's, I'm the ultimate centrist. I can, I can understand people's hatred for them, but I can also understand why people love these characters. And I leave on the love side because I do love some like dramatic melodrama for the sake of melodrama, because it's just like, mm. it keeps me, keeps my ass glued, glued in the seat sort of thing. Um, right. I think like the, you know, the fact of the matter is is they this trio had the most like drama coming from their own internal like issues mm -hmm. so you know tara struggling with his darkness then ventus wanting to like go out and see the world and aqua you know being the person that is like the mothering you know mm -hmm. presence so she's you know getting ventus mad at her for saying go home you know, mm -hmm. and then that's like a story beat, right? Whereas if you look at um the uh the Twilight Trum trio, if that's what they're called, um their dream drama is much more external. <clears throat> so like mm -hmm. the external pressures that they themselves have no control over. Um mm -hmm. and so I think, yeah, from like a messy um standpoint, the birth by 
sleep trio might be more fun because they're all like, you know, these interesting personalities. Mm -hmm. I guess in, you know, Tara's case, his boringness is the interesting part. (laughs) Um, But, uh, you know, so I could see how it could be more interesting from that Mm -hmm. regard because the conflict is internal Mm -hmm. rather than being like an external pressure. Yeah, like, I'll say this at least, I'm not, I don't think Birth by Sleep's story is the peak of the franchise but i do think it's uh, it's still a very good story that they tell it feels very dramatic and sort of like climatic and operatic in a sense where it's like building up to you know this climatic fight in the uh, keyblade graveyard where you know ventus and venetus you know are having their fight Terra's fighting xehanort Zay- and then aqua fights you know venetus and then later Terra. Terranort. Um I've always loved the sort of like um it feels very like in the vein of like a classical like play in the set it's building up to this like really dramatic climatic ending where nothing it doesn't give you the kind of feel-good Kingdom Hearts sentimentality that we've all come to know and love it's it's sort of the the low point for a lot all these characters and you see them pay for because a lot of the things that these treat this trio goes through mirrors i think i said this earlier it mirrors the destiny islands trio but where they get the sort of payoff where they can see the error, like Riku can see the error of his ways and learn to not succumb to the darkness. Terra gets punished for succumbing to the darkness and he loses literally his body to the main antagonist and he is all he's left is with his own will in a suit of armor and he has to, you know, he's waiting for 10 years. Aqua trying to sort of be the glue that keeps everything together she gets punished for being so good natured she gets sent to the literally the opposite of her own nature as a character the you know the the realm of darkness and ventus trying to be the good good centered hero like sora does and where sora's sort of naivety and brass uh brash nature he's able to sort of use it in his own favor. Ventus doing so has him merge with Venetus to create the Keyblade, which side note, the Keyblade in Birth by Sleep is not the Keyblade that we've come to know. It is the Greek symbol for key. So if I ever say the Keyblade in this game specifically moving forward, I'm just going to call it the X-Blade for my own sake um so it's like yeah ventus verges with his literal evil dark side of his own personality to create the x-blade and and instead in the process ventus's own literal like being is shattered and he needs literally the ultimate literal cherub child in sora to repair it his own spirit so it's like 
I like how the Birth by Sleep trio is like taking what we come to have expected from the Destiny Island trio and kind of giving the sort of negative outcome of their own personalities. And we and we kind of see this with the the 358 trio where they aren't exactly one-to-one mirrors of Sora, Kairi, and Riku, but they still have like the collective uh goals and aspirations but we see like from that perspective they get ripped apart their their own sort of happiness is ripped away from them from this the the destiny that awaits them for Shion and Roxas and that and Axel the fleet the you know their sort of bond is fleeting and then the birth by sleep trio like it's a tragic irony, or it's like just a tragedy waiting to happen. I mean, even in the uh, back of the box, it says like destiny is never left to chance. So it's that's where I think I've always come to love this game is just the like you can't stop, you know, you can't stop this destiny. Which, you know, I guess is another sort of playing off one of the other Kingdom Hearts central themes is like the idea of destiny and, you know, what, you know, fulfilling your destiny and all that sort of stuff. So hopefully this is all making sense. But like Birth by Sleep, I think, really hits home. I really think Birth by Sleep really hits home in that final part in the climactic battle. That's where it really starts to sing. So, yeah, I mean. Birth by Sleep is a unique experiment for the franchise, and for the most part, I think it hits home in the, in the story department. I mean, yeah, I think I think it's uh, uh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, it. Birth by Sleep is like I will never come from the position of it's the best game in the franchise two is that for me two is the perfect entry and i don't think like i don't think it is above an entry like 358 i think 358 is a very is a very tragic tale that is really well done where it plays off of the gameplay it takes the gameplay aspect and weaves it into the story in a really beautiful way I think Birth by Sleep is at times can be a little messy and it's not perfect, but I will never say it's like trash tier. It's a good tier game, but I will never claim it's my favorite. It's in my upper echelon of Kingdom Hearts, I think. No, I mean, the only thing that makes it not a recommendable, or not that it isn't recommendable, but that makes it not like the perfect like mobile action RPG to recommend to someone is just that it has the attached kingdom hearts uh baggage with it but even then it like has things that are unique to this particular game that aren't shown in other ones uh in the series even um and it's its own worthy entry it's got a lot of special things about it and Mm -hmm. a lot of you know limitations because of the hardware but that also kind of made them do things that they're not going to necessarily even continue with going yeah. forward you know one of the things i wish they stopped doing is the floaty jumps i hate that about this game the floaty yes, jumps this... suck so much in this game holy shit 
They were really like, bad. And they, yeah. and, and they continued it in later injuries. I'm like, God, like what was wrong with you here? Like there's like some platforming sections that I have burned into my brain from the amount of times I had to like you know offset the weird jump to go sideways and like float up over. I mean, I'll say Kingdom Hearts once platforming isn't that isn't this like annoying to me? Like at least that one, like I can understand. Like Sora jumps like boom. It's like birth by sleep jumping. It's like okay, can we send? It doesn't help that a lot of the early bosses involve jumping too. So it's like, oh boy. And you know, I remember when I played Kingdom Hearts three, and it had very similar floaty jumping. I'm like, you nailed it with two. What went wrong? Well, so, that was uh, one of the things that I didn't know about until I was watching Kingdom Hearts three. Um, like the there was a preview. And then um, people were like giving their feedback around it. This was maybe I don't want to say it was it was probably like a year or so before it was uh, released. Um, and this YouTuber that got to, you know, do this participate and it was like, yeah, the jumps were a little floaty. And he was saying that like as a critical part. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, what does that mean? And I looked it up and then it was like one of those things where I just couldn't I couldn't unlearn it. You know, I had, I had now yeah. understood what floaty, floaty jumps are and that they were in birth by sleep. And that's why the, um, you know, uh, battle combat felt so dramatically different between like two and everything else after two um, was because I guess the um, designers of two, the team that works on the battle system um, in particular, um, they, their last game was Kingdom Hearts 2. Every other um, team that's worked on it has been like the Osaka team, I think. Yes. And they are, yeah, more floaty uh, yeah. in their battle style. So I will say this. It is not game-breaking. But again, like you said, Nick, once you notice it, you can't unsee it and you can't unfeel it. And I, like Kingdom Hearts 3, like they it's not as bad but like you feel it and like it just it again once you notice it it takes you out of the experience and it's like goddamn kingdom hearts 2 nailed it and why did they just literally copy that one uh pray to god kingdom hearts 4 fixes this uh who knows um but yeah i mean birth by sleep is like i think it is obviously like i recommend everyone play all of the games because I think they're all valid to some extent. Maybe not recoded, but we'll get there in a second. All right. Well, we already talked about recoded, but you know, I could talk about why recode is like eh to me in some cases. But like, I Birth by Sleep is like you get a it every game like we said you play in release order. You get a you get a sense of where the team was at the time and you kind of see them experiment with different ideas. You know, we go from something like, you know, cage to action RPG perfection to, you know, three, five, eight, you know, or birth by sleep where it's this command deck system. Then you have like three, five, eight days where it's this sort of using blocks to level up and all this sort of stuff. And then, 
recoded is the sort of a take on the fusion the ability fusion thing combat mixed with two and then you see dream drop distance with the drop mechanic and i think that's an added sort of bonus of kingdom hearts is that you see how the franchise experiments with itself tries new things learns from old mistakes and a credit to square they allowed this experimentation both in gameplay and in story and i can be grateful that square enix as a publisher uh allows this sort of freedom and i'm glad that you know i'm glad that a game like birth by sleep exists it's not like gonna win game of the year for me but it definitely is an experience that stays with me you know what i mean so i mean totally so i guess i mean is there any other closing thoughts on birth by sleep before we wrap this whole thing up <laughs> i mean we're we're, uh, we're in through our second kingdom hearts episode you know i think that's a a testament of itself i think over the years of this franchise's existence we learn that kingdom hearts really can do whatever it wants and i'm grateful that this is a franchise that is willing to do new things with every entry doesn't have to fully agree with me looking at melody of memories but i am glad that there is room for something so wild or something you know worth giving a shot with this franchise and i think i'm glad that these experiences i have with the 2.5 games it allows me to appreciate old entries later in the franchise like dream drop distance or 0.2 or 3 like these games helped build the future out if you know what i mean that I don't know if you guys want to have any closing thoughts on the episode as a whole. Um, um yeah, I think the Kingdom Hearts two and these games became a a huge uh, splinter point, and you know, as you're saying it, it's just cool to see so many types of approaches to this style of game, and it. Again, it being tolerated, let alone continued to give game after game of console exclusive, strange premise, uh, etc. Like it's it's really it's great in that way, and also like you know, in the meantime, when Kingdom Hearts three was a long off, um, you know, thought a pipe dream. It was a really long period of time where you know there there was a a fan community for this game, these games. Um, that we're putting out like weekly podcasts, uh, like episodes. Uh, so, sometimes they've even just news updates. Like I followed a few that were doing like like weekly news updates about Kingdom Hearts three. Oh um, no! Yeah. Oh yeah. It got dark there in the middle. They had a lot <laughs> of re- weird episodes. Oh no! Um, but uh, yeah, it's just it just shows that like there's this series has the ability to connect through a lot of earnestness um and earnestly trying things and sometimes when you earnestly try things it doesn't work 
mm-hmm. and uh, or it comes out messy or not quite fully formed. Um, but you always can look back at a Kingdom Hearts game and say that was heartfelt, that was an attempt at something, whether or not I loved what they were going for, how they got there. Like, I love it. It feels like the craft of video games is very like preserved inside of the legacy of uh, mm-hmm. Kingdom Hearts as it's like developed. Mm-hmm. And then Nick. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, this is such a, uh, I should say, Kingdom Hearts 2 and Birth <laughs> by Sleep is such a special uh, pair of games for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think uh, the like entire day, that one birthday where I was able to play Kingdom Hearts 2, that was all I wanted to do. You know, and I remember thinking about it um, then and and remembering on it now is that it was like the perfect way to um, play uh, or to spend a birthday. I don't know if I would have felt similarly for like a Kingdom Hearts 3, Mm -hmm. you know, or for like a dream drop distance. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know if I could have sat there the entire day and have played it and felt satisfied. And Mm -hmm. so for that reason... Um, I know I could have done that with two. I know that I could have done that with uh, Birth by Sleep as well. For that reason, I think those two games in particular hold like a really special place for me as like one of my two of my favorite games ever. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that if anybody wants to play not only the best Kingdom Hearts game, but um, one of the best, if not the best uh, action JRPGs, I think you have to play two. Mm-hmm. And luckily, I feel like you could get away with playing two um, and not having to invest like all of the time <laughs> and energy that it takes to play three, for example. Yeah, no. I mean, I totally agree. I mean, uh, I I can't thank you guys enough again for joining me, not only on this second Kingdom Hearts episode, but to usher in season two. It's been a very very good time with y'all once again so thank you very much for thank your you time so much for, thank you for having me and uh, <laughs> congratulations on season two the show is great oh thank you very much yeah it's... no i'm i'm just very honored to be you know a part of the program again but also to help kick off season two looking the, forward to it this organization as it were is a is a good little network we have <laughs> we're recruiting I should just get Andrew to join on to do make this like a big no. thing, like <laughs> just be like one big like multinational Kingdom Hearts like uh, spewing love festival. There you uh, go. Um, but yeah, so I think that is the perfect place that we shall stop. 